Blog Talk Radio. Mozart, think Mozart, huh? 
The love received so far has been so hard. There's a few dudes to run, but they medulla, they sharp, man, they so soft. Don't be thrown off any Zolar. Avoid them at all costs, like raccoons or skunks. But back to the regular scheduled program. The program is sponsored by Seven Heaven. What else in hell can you get an open line to heaven at 11-11? Emerge at the other end of those meditation portals and elevated walk tools. Even some abort tools. Any questions, comments, or concerns, press one. To everyone else, thanks for attending another session. I'm pleased to teach, but it's an honor to learn. Certainly, courtesy of KTL University. Oh, please don't be frightened. I'm terribly sorry about this. You are. Peace. Peace to you and yours. Peace to you and yours. This is No Less Radio, and you are now rocking with the best. Yes, indeed, this is your host, Brother Blue Pill. All right, very soon to be joined by my co-host. Welcome back to KTO Radio. All right, family, we have a wonderful program in store for you this evening. Okay, title of tonight's episode is The Stages of Love. Featuring the love doctor or the love coach, our brother Tony Veer. Okay, this will be his debut here on KTL Radio. All right, we are excited to have Brother Ford with a very powerful, invigorating conversation, dissertation for that matter, right on this evening. So just give me a second. Let me get these tweets out. Okay, family, if you can, update your uh, statuses, send a tweet out, get to join on your Instagram, shoot it on the gram, let the family know. You are here rocking with the best on KTL Radio. All right, let me go and open up the line for my calls. Call it from the tree, four, seven. Peace. Peace, peace. Peace. Peace to the family. Uh, welcome to Another Ledge Radio. This is your co-host, the brother Red Pill. Greetings. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. Can you hear me? All right. Yes, I can. Indeed. What's going on? Hello? Yeah, right here, bro. Okay. Yeah, so welcome to Know the Ledge Radio family. Uh, make yourselves comfortable. Powerful show lined up for you tonight. We are going to be bringing our brother Tony, the love coach. You hear me? The love coach on the show. And uh, we'll be, you know, if there's anything that we need as a people right now, and if there's anything that we need individually, it's some love. Right? Yeah, speak on it. I mean, you know, we're going to speak on it tonight. But, um, you know, before we get into all of that, we're going to do some announcement, announcements 
uh, talk about some things that are going on this week, next week, you know, and then we'll get into the show. Yeah, then we'll get into the show for tonight, you know. Okay. I don't want to. Yeah, I'm just saying that because I don't want to jump ahead of myself, you know. Right. Yeah, so how was yeah, how was yeah. your, uh I'm sorry, say that again. I said get into it. You got some things you need to promote? Um let's see. What's going on this weekend? Oh, Comic Counter Comic Con is in town. You know all of my uh fantasy lovers. You know, the creative community I call you. Comic book dudes, screenwriters, the artists, uh, the myth makers. Yeah, the myth makers, even the theorists. Yeah. And, and when I say theorists, you know what I'm saying, that's inclusive of everybody that fits into the bracket of, you know, you see three moons out there, you see four suns. You know what I'm saying? You got the patent for um, Ebola. You can pull it up online. You know, uh, all of, you know all of that. That's yeah, all of y'all. theorists in the realm somewhere in, in the middle, you know, put it into a, a very clever script. You know what I'm saying? Work it into some sort of uh, fantasy, you know, for lack of a better term, because Buddha Prince already told you that you're dealing with a uh, you know a false, false, uh, a false logic in this particular dimension. You gotta introduce things to the realm of fantasy first to bring it into reality in this realm. You know that's why there's such a thin line between, um, you know the the world of fiction and the quote unquote world of reality. I did an interview with Brother Rich last weekend, and he came up with a new term. You know, and he asked me. You know, what did I think about? Um, you know, was was are the movies real or you know like that? You know what I'm saying? That whole question. You think about both dimensions. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. About things, movie. I was like, he was like, so you know, the world of entertainment. And I was like, well, I was like, let's coin a new phrase. Let's call it the world of entertainment. Say that word again. I'm sorry. It's the world of entertainment. Entertainment. Yes, it's like inter- like inter- inter- you know what I'm saying? So we're, we're talking about entanglement. We're talking about, you know, this whole aspect of quantum physics. You know what I'm saying? Uh, the fact that, you know, this electron that, that exists in this dimension and it doesn't exist in this dimension. We're talking about the fact that, you know, we're going to a movie and your brain can differentiate between... Reality on the monkey screen, right? So you're actually bringing those things from that realm into this realm. It's entanglement, you know. So how can you tell what's real and what's quote unquote not real anymore? People inboxing me telling me, well, The Simpsons had episodes about Ebola. You know, I damn sure seen the uh, the Family Guy episodes about Robin Williams and suicide and all of these things. So you know what I'm saying? Is it a is it a vast conspiracy? Or are we dealing with a level of entanglement in a form of entertainment where you're engaging your faculty to create reality, which is your mind, natural brain, 
right? Your brain is just a projector, but your mind is where the program, you know what I'm saying, is actually coming from because the movie don't exist within the projector, right? The projector is just projecting the movie. Same way that the, the, the things that you're seeing on your TV don't live in your TV, right? Mm-hmm. And it's pulling it out of the air, and it's being projected through your TV screen. It's the same thing Back. with your brain. You know what I'm saying? Your brain is, is, is a cool piece of machinery, but it's not the end-all, do-all. Your mind, you know what I'm saying? Your mind is where it's at. Your mind is, is, is the boundless, formless, you know what I'm saying, infinite, limitless, you know? Shout-out to my mm-hmm. brother, um, yeah, my brother Ty, you know what I'm saying? I got a chance to meet his sensei this past week and was able to take some... Um, some 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 very sacred uh some very sacred lessons in the internal martial arts and his brother his elder was teaching me the philosophy man and philosophy is so engaging you know what I'm saying and it sounded mm-hmm. like I was in 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 a uh you know a throwback a manga you know what I'm saying old school kung fu flick with, with the gray beards you know what I'm saying but it was reality it was real life you know what I mean. So, man, yeah. it's like, find these days, man, you know what I'm saying? I don't know what to make of it. The best word that I could come up with is, like I said, the, the realm of entanglement, you know what I'm saying? Is where we exchange, we go into one realm and we bring things back. Same way the electron goes into dimensions that are unknown and it brings these things back into this dimension of the um, dimension of the senses. You know, this holographic yeah, so, Live in the reality. There's multiple reality, alternate realities, and things of that nature. Like you could go to Comic Con and see somebody walking around looking like a Klingon, or you know somebody portraying themselves or donning a costume that you may not be familiar with, or somebody being of a certain skin color. You know, for you, you know, black people out there that are so pro-black. You know, what you going to say when Shorty, when that purple chick pushes up on you and walks by looking real juicy? Hmm? You pushing up? Hmm? She dark enough? Real. Real juicy. Yeah. What about the orange girl? So, you know, it's like yeah. I'm encouraging. Yeah. People think I'm trying to clown, but I'm not. The eight-foot eight foot blue sister rolling up on you from Avatar. Huh? You shooting? What you going to do? Hmm? Shooting? You need that? So like, yeah. So I'm saying that you know brothers need to show up in full regalia. You got spikes. You got feathers. You got a fez. You know. You got a jala bean. You know whatever you do. You got mascara that you like to wear. You got side locks. Like whatever it is that that, that you know. That, that takes you outside of the dimension of this quote-unquote mundane reality, whatever your creation myth is, whatever your mythos that you subscribe to, you know, whatever this fantasy or, or, or alternate reality that you wish to see, or whatever this 10,000 or 20,000 year, you know, because people, people act like they really been there. Sometimes, you know, what am I to say? You probably have been there, Right? you say you was there in the 18th dynasty, you was there, you know what I'm saying, if you say you fixed King Tut breakfast the night he died, 
I mean, what, what can I say? But what, what can I, I can say is this. There is an industry that has toppled the trillion-dollar mark, and they belong to the collective that is known as Comic-Con. And they somehow have parlayed the same kind of creation, myth, mythos, fantasy, ideas and concepts, characters, and all kind of other things from alternate universes and parlayed that into video games, comic books, cartoons, blockbuster films, blockbuster video games, wax figures, toys, huh? magma, um, skateboards, pajamas, capes, hats, you name it, bodied you niggas, okay? They completely washed you. And what's even more interesting, thanks to Bobby Hemmett, Phil Valentine, and other teachers, they jacked your shit. It was your stories. They took the Asaurian myth and flipped it a thousand times like it was some good work. They took a Nazi spider and created Spider-Man. They took Malcolm and Malcolm and Martin and gave your ass Professor X and Magneto. So all I'm saying is this. We could go on. We could do a whole show on what they did and how they benefited and profited and they running shit. Running around making all these video games and apps and all kind of stuff to your information. Why you called the revenge of the nerds and they were weirdos and stuff like that. And you got some of your own people to jump ship and they roll with them. So go see them at Comic Con. See if you could find a way in. You know what I'm talking about? Because at the end of the day, people walking around with all of this information and all of this Tahaka and Pianki and Kufu and all of this other stuff, but it's not translating into anything that is profitable in that fantasy realm because that's a real realm right there. People really want to read that comic book for the morals that are sovereign in their mind. And give me the comic book. Let me see what it looks like to be to be sovereign. Make the video game with the act, my nigga. You know, I don't want to just see you on Fox 5 News squatting in a mansion. You know, give me a comic book. I, I, I really want to get a comic book on what happened before the Reconstruction revised history. Let me see what happened when we were the brutish Moors and when we, you know, were navigating through the Amexum, the wilderness of North Amexum, we were taking heads of the Europeans who ventured forth outside of their garrisons and forts. Put that shit on paper. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, make that a graphic novel. That's all I'm saying. And you too can have a booth at Comic-Con. You could be a legend. You could be a legend. Yeah. You could sleep uh, with green women. That. You could marry that eight foot purple girl. You know what I mean? Like you could you you could meet the person who this is the first time I saw Oculus was last year at Comic Con. The thing that got bought for nineteen billion. If I had a few dollars, I would have had invested in it right then and there because I knew it was gonna pop. Oculus Rift, which is virtual reality. You could sit down with them and talk to them if you come to the table with some powerful information. So I'm going there with my portfolio of my artwork, the same thing that I did last year. I'm going to be a little weirder. I'm going to look a little weirder than I don't normally do. I won't even match this time. Fuck it. I'm going to just wear some weird stuff. 
I'm going to go into Blue Pill's closet and, you know, pray for me. I hope that I hit because I'm an artist. And to be honest with you, I would I would love nothing more than to fall back and to get amongst a creative community and create some stuff and profit off of that so I could build up a legacy and have more children. You know what I mean? I could be justified for having more children. So Ivana, uh, uh, what's her name, Fix Your Life, don't come after me and try to put me on a couch. I got a lot of children. You know? That's another story. Yeah. But the family, yeah, family, you're going to have to, if you're in the New York area, uh, New York City area, Tri-State area, you're going to have to look on Craigslist or something because it is sold out. All of the days are sold out. Um, I'm sure they got all of those cool websites. But, you know, these are people that are dedicated to their craft. They're dedicated to to these particular venues. You know, they was popping tickets off 65 a day and all of that. That shit was sold. You know what I'm saying? They bought that up. So they in the building. Yeah, they got that. On the way in, yeah. You know? Got they up in there. You know, so salute to yeah. everybody that, you know, will be participating. And, uh... Yeah, yeah. if you grew up on wrestling, ain't no different. You know what I'm saying? You uh, might as well go to Comic Con. I said, even if you grew up on wrestling. On wrestling? On wrestling. Like, you said Western, like John Wayne? I said wrestling. Wrestling. On oh, wrestling. It's all relatable, family. If you play fantasy football, it's all relatable. It's all. You, you, you're living, hold on, you want to talk about fantasy? You want to talk about alternative realities? You're living in one. You're living in the matrix. You're living in occupied, usurped realities, not just the land. They usurped the reality, the Greco-Roman, the Roman Catholics, okay, Christian dome, post-1492, have successfully created an alternate reality where they have convinced your black ass that they are who they say they are. They they said that they're God, and you believe it. And you have created a reality where they are, at, they, at least in, through the borders of America, because everybody outside of America, not everybody, but a majority of people, they ain't buying into that matrix. They're fighting that matrix. But inside of this matrix with the African-American Negro you know what I'm saying? The African American, the Raven Simone had to shoot down. They convince you that they God. That's their fantasy. That's their comic con, and niggas bought that tooth and nail facts. And the reality that we live in, where people are getting completely—I mean, the level of abuse that they're handing out right now to African Americans on a on an hourly basis is staggering. You know, that's a whole other story that we're going to get into. I think it has a lot to do with niggas with their pants down, but we'll talk about it. You know what I'm saying? We will. You know, I think it's I think it's mystical. I think it's spiritual, but I don't know. But we'll talk about it. But they have convinced our people 
that we and they created an alternate reality where they changed their history, they changed their past of who they originally were, and and, and aspects of who we were, and they traded places with us and put us into their seat, and then they took our throne. They have usurped the throne. Um, a sheet with, with Todd's talk. A sheet, E S C H E A T. A sheet. You know, they took the throne. They got that. They sit in. They sitting comfortably on that throne. So, the Comic Con is a micronism of the macro. You think that they are on the planet? You think they're in Mars? You think they travel in Pluto? They got space stations. They landed on moons. You know what I mean? You think that you was a slave for six thousand years? You thought that you was in a jungle eating people and swinging from trees. You know what I mean? You, you, th- you thought that you created the Ebola, all of this stuff. That's all propaganda. It's all, um, you know, it's all part of their matrix. And, um, you know, Comic-Con is just a micronism of that. But like I said, you know, that's not what the show is about tonight. But uh, I thought we'd just put that out there. We, we definitely would... Um, Love some feedback if anybody has anything that they wanted to add on or, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah, you know, that that's welcome. But yeah, Comic Con. Check it out. Yes indeed, and for the family that's inquiring, we did not broadcast this past Tuesday, you know. As I heard, oh. um I mean I before I forget. Before I forget, I have to shout out my brother, Minister Inky. It's been a long time since we've been talking about our brother, Minister Inky. Uh, I was privy to seeing a demonstration of his on Tuesday night that he did in Harlem where he brought a um, science, scientifical, biological perspective about, um, you know, our adversary as well as us as melanated um, Aboriginal Indigenous people. And, you know, the brother is very... Um, Astute when it comes to um, science and biology, and he he impressed me. Like he went in, he did some stuff that is almost unrefutable. You know, we we really need to um, pay attention to our scientists that are in our community, even though they're not accredited or you know they didn't come out of these labs and whatnot. The people, quote unquote, want to see our people come out of to 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 you know. Uh, to act like that they want to certify them or something. That doesn't mean anything to me. If you could research and if you could make breakthroughs, you could come out of the fucking, you know what I mean? Like you could come out of a jail cell. It doesn't matter. You know what I'm saying? That that goes back That goes back to what I'm saying. It's, our, our people live in alternate realities. They don't even understand genius. They don't understand scholarship. They they think that, you know what I mean? Like they, they're so Europeanized that they don't think that you could come out of, you can't come up to any conclusions or you can't wrap your mind around any kind of concept unless you're taught by them. And that's completely false. Yeah. Completely. Um, I, I was not a part of academia per se. You know, he came out of left field with his, um, with his dissertation, same as Darwin, you know, and there are others as well, you know what I'm saying, that engage those fields of academia with their level of research. If you have a, a, a brain that can transmit, you know, frequencies and signals from the from the universal mind, then you too, you know what I'm saying, can concentrate your thought mechanism on coming up with some things. It doesn't mean that you have to have a, a piece of paper to do that. You know what I'm saying? That's a limit 
that's a glass ceiling that's been put over, over top of your head that you bought into. That's something that you contracted in that you think and believe is real, and that's slowing you up from making breakthroughs. You feel me? Like that. those those the children making these apps and shit. They not they don't have degrees from computer engineering school. They in the basement. They in the crib. You know what I'm saying? They dangerous. The, you don't the, know what they work on until they come outside. What they the think. 10,000 people, yeah. Volatile periods in humanity because you have no idea what's going on. It's just that people's minds are not geared towards thinking like that. You know what I'm saying? You're not cooking up the uh, the, the, the um, technical Ebola in your crib to come out with some real shit. You know what I'm saying? And put people on, on motherfucking cue. You know, you're doing exactly what they expect you to do. Panic. Like, like, nah, like uh, a mentee wrote in the chat room, you make any bowl of songs, that's what you doing. Facts. <laughs> you're giving it strength. You're giving it strength. People die every day. People die of, 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 uh, of mosquito bites, I mean, malaria, and, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Leaky faucets and all of that. Like, we, Dude died in Texas, so, and they're like, oh, my goodness, it's over. It's a biological weapon. I knew they were trying to. What? Shut up. Like, what are you talking about? Come on, B. This shit is sickening. I mean, you have to understand the dynamics of what it is that we're talking about here, and hopefully at some point we'll get to talk about it tonight because it connects very um you know, it's, it's, it's a direct connection to this aspect of love that we're talking about, and that's the love that we have for our oppressor, for oppression, you know what I'm saying? But the inherent love that one has for their quote-unquote homeland, and I know people, they get all up in the tizzy, you know what I'm saying, about what their position here is, especially if you were born, you know what I'm saying, in quote-unquote America, and you're still grappling as to which identification is. You know what I'm saying? Like I said, people came here in Africa on any tools and shit like that. And, and, and under underneath uh, the holes of ships, you know, so we're stopping somebody that has so much love from Africa from going back to Africa. You know? And I'm not taking away anybody's identity by saying that. I'm just saying that it's a real um, mentally displaced form of an expression of your, uh, your 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 pride and what have you, if you claim to be something and you've never one been there or two, you're not there now setting up shop. You know what I'm saying? Like that's your home. So for those that are here and consider this place home, but again can't really find a way to express it because society has never allotted you anything to necessarily be proud or prideful about or openly expressive about. But yet, and still, this is your home, so you're like, damn. You know, you, you kind of love to be an American because this is a program that's being fed to you every day that you're expressing. You kind of don't know what loving to be an American is about because it's somewhat distorted and it doesn't really come in your image. You feel me? And then this particular love that you have for America is super distorted because this government has repeatedly, repeatedly enacted program after program to annihilate you. So today the movie Killer Messenger comes out, okay, where the unequivocal proof is laid out by Gary Webb and his investigation with the San Jose Mercury News that crack cocaine was a deliberate program 
biological warfare put in place by the United States government, headed by the CIA, all right? Again, all right, there's a book that you can download right now, family. Go online, and you can look it up. There's a PDF version available, all right? And you can educate yourself directly about the source of not only Ebola, but AIDS, okay? Because there's two peas in a bucket, all right? So one is not, uh, you know, you don't have one without the other. So you want to read a book called Emerging Viruses, AIDS and Ebola, all right? They give the whole skinny up in this book, okay? And this is written not by conspiracy theorists, but this is written by doctors in the field, you know what I'm saying, who cracked this case a long time ago. You have this government that continuously, right, is the front for other organizations that are international. You know what I'm saying? It's not like it's coming from, you know, the, the, the backwoods of America or what have you. You know, this is coming from the World Health Organization and, you know, other nefarious organizations that have these colorful alphabet names or what have you. But they're mm-hmm. continuously coming up with programs, diabolical programs and biological weaponry, okay, to erase and eradicate you. You know what I'm saying? And you, and our people bounce back from it. You know, we we've, we can stand here and say that we survived, survived crack cocaine, but we took, we took a lot of hits. You know what I'm saying? There was a lot of casualties involved with that. And the fallout for that is not even absolute as of yet. It takes at least seven generations to feel the full effect of a program of that particular sort, that nature. We're about four generations in. You know? Hold on. Rather than go. So, you know, program after program, you know, AIDS and AIDS and crack hit at the same time. Kind of, sort of. You feel me? So, I mean, we we, we really got to take a look about this aspect of a displaced level of love. You know what I'm saying? People inherently and quietly, they can't even control the fact that you got to love where you come from. You got to love, you know what I'm saying, that what you consider your mother, you know? And even if they're considering the motherland their mother, you know, that's still a displaced level of love because it's like, well, you're going to let somebody do that to your mother? Look what they're doing over there to your moms. You know what I'm saying? And you live in the same house with a person is raping, violating, and slaughtering people from your direct family, and you haven't struck out yet? That's That's weird love. That's a weird expression of love. You know what I'm saying? So I think that that factors into the larger conversation. Hold on. Just take that with you, man. Yeah, so, you know, hopefully we'll be able to address 
some of these larger questions, you know what I'm saying, some of these craters that exist in the larger conversation that's taking place that people are not addressing and not seeing the bigger picture, you know. So this is another, again, another demonstration of another way in which people that are, you know, deriving from the motherland, from their mother continent, are going to have prejudices against that mother continent. And people from that continent, anytime they hear anything dealing with Africa, they're going to associate it with Ebola. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's going to be a whole other level of discrimination that's taking place. You know, they remember, like, you know, how they had us with the Haitian body odor, Haitian booty scratches, and all types of prejudices that we inherently had in the 80s because they was associating AIDS with Haitians and AIDS with Africans that? after yeah. that. Yeah. You know, and we had, um, people had an, 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 an insidious hatred for all things African based on what they felt was an inherent threat because that's what was fed to them by the media. And it's going to be no different than what's going to take place now, you know. But you're going to have, you know, Melanated folks, you know, primarily, uh, as Raven Simone said, African-Americans or Afro-Americans, you know what I'm saying, or more or whatever the hell you want to call yourselves. But if you're hating on, you know, people from the continent, it's like, come on, there's a nobility in that. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. How's that upstairs? That's super downstairs. So everybody's going to fall back into negativity by way of their mentality is going on in their mind. I don't care what you call your body. You know what I'm saying? Where's your mind at? That's the shit that they're going after. You know, your corpse is already <laughs> it's already contracted and, and, and you know what I'm saying? You know mm-hmm. that? When your ass died, you are going they're gonna snatch your ass up and cut you up and put you in the mall, all right? Mm-hmm. That owns your body. Cut it out. Give the hell what you call yourself. When your ass die, okay, they're cutting you open and gutting you open, okay, and, and you got to get a death certificate before they release your body or what have you. And nine out of ten, your ass is going into a church to get sent up. So cut it out. Yep. You exhaust all that energy with the paperwork. And you can't even take possession of your own body. You don't have no ceremonies have no marriages or no funerals in. Cut it out. Yeah, let's get into the show, though. Uh, Brother Tony, see you in the call queue. We're going to open up your line in a minute. Let me just share something, okay, family? I just want to share a post that I wrote on uh, Facebook earlier this week. I think it is definitely in relation to the show that we're going to do tonight, dealing with love. Uh, I uh, I met this brother who was our guest in Harlem over the summer. We had that dynamic summer out there working with uh, Sarnetta TV. And um, our brother Tony came through, and he did a clip with us dealing with the stages of love, and I was thoroughly impressed with his dissertation. And I feel that our family is suffering from 
the lack of love, our nation, our people. I think all of humanity is at a lack, is at a void at this point. So I'm going to get into this uh, status update that I wrote, and then I'm going to get into the description. We're going to jump right in the show, okay? All right. So it started as, as a downtrodden, forgotten, picking cotton, begotten race of people, stateless, godless, captives of Rome, void of culture, void of spirituality, void of proper education, void of a wealthy homeland, void of resources, void of love, and full of hate, self-hatred, eternalized hatred, which devolves into fear and abuse. We, uh, we yearn for love and acceptance for our oppressors and the society we faithfully and wholeheartedly integrated into because, after all, we shall overcome one day. The social engineers know this, and their socio-psycho-cultural approach is to fill that void with products, programming, and propaganda that gives you a false sense of love that's missing. With so many defaults, voids, and undiagnosed symptoms, post-traumatic slave syndrome being one of the most prevalent and obvious dysfunctions afflicting the African-American black-colored Negro which is, by the way, a new species, pedigree, and breed of human being post-1492. Study your oppressors, who is also your program developer. His approach is centered in programming your heart and mind to his false reality, a.k.a. the matrix. He knows you lack love and knows you will do anything to get it. It's in your nature. After all, you are a more which translates to love. You introduced that concept to Europe in the dark ages, circa 711 to 1491. He feeds you romance from a Roman perspective. Now it's, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. We justify Greco-Roman lifestyles that are detrimental to both our health and existence. If health is wealth, then alternative, irresponsible, unnatural lifestyles are for poor people exactly who the Greco-Romans were before they pillaged your rich land or rich doors. The greatest prophets of our times, the most honorable Elijah Muhammad, the prophet noble Drew Ali, and Marcus Mosiah Garvey all spoke of love as the most sacred and highest principle we could attain to in this wicked society. Love of self as the first law of nature, then love of others. The whole planet knows that we need love, and they've made fortunes off of that premise, and they've maintained control by denying us that privilege. The mind, your educational system does not promote love. Your your vision does not promote love. Your radio does not promote love. And your occupation, your plantation, does not promote love either. So let's solve that equation, then maybe we can grow as a nation. All right, and that was the post. We're going to get into the description. Okay. Hold on. Maybe I can just do something real quick. And, and clap from the audience and clap from thank you thank you appreciate you 
All right, what's up? All right, thank you. Thank you. Please, take a seat. Take a seat. Yeah, sit down. And then get into these questions. Join us for another epic presentation of Motor Love Radio. Tonight we present to you the stages of love featuring the love coach, Tony Vere. They say men are from Mars and women are from Venus. How do these planetarian differences dictate the relationships on this planet? What traits do we borrow from the animal kingdom that we bring into our human relationships? Can we alter the dynamics of our modern-day relationships? How has the dire state of the economy affected the way we love? Are the relationship issues that plague people universal or ethnic-specific? The five stages of love will be discussed at length. Number one, infatuation. Number two, doubt. Number three, commitment. Number four, vulnerability. Number five, love. Tony Vere, a.k.a. the love coach, is a coach, a writer, workshop creator, and a leader who specializes in love, relationships, and life purpose. Among the many skill sets he has developed over the years are gender language translation and mental modeling. He has been coaching since 2001 and creating workshops since 2004. His purpose in life is to deliver love as a state of mind and a way of life and to leave the planet better than he found them. You can email questions in anticipation to tonight's program to KTL Empowerment at Gmail. Tune in. Classes in session. Without any further ado, we want to open up the line for calling from the 347-409. Peace and welcome to Know the Ledge Radio. Tony Veer in the house. Say ow. All right. All right, brother, man. Listen, I've been, I've been listening to y'all dropping science, man, dropping the spoken word. And I, I really got to say, man, that, you know, I you asked me to come up with something, so I came up with the stages of love, but... What I really heard was, like, how to have, you know, the African-American community actually stand inside of love. So I'm almost more interested in talking about that than the topic I gave you. So I don't mind doing both, but I'm following your lead, and I'm going to offer what I got. Oh, man. This is what I would say to that. Give thanks, brother, and honors. But when I read the description about what you were about to bring, I was like, you know what? Let's deal with that first. You feel what I'm right. saying? Yeah. Let's get that yeah. foundation strengthened because let's deal with our people from the aspect that you're going to bring it into, and yeah. then we're going to tackle that 800-pound gorilla in the room. But as we all know, we got to get home right first. I'm a whole other set in the role, so let's, you know, let's do it. No doubt, brother. Real quick before we begin, I know that I, I introduced you and, and spoke about you and whatnot, but there's no one better that could speak about you other than yourself. So I want you to briefly just introduce yourself to the family, you know, let them know who Tony Vere is. Okay, great. So, uh, again, my name is Tony Vere. I'm born Bronx, uh, Bronx born and raised. Uh, I was in the, I was graduated out of Taft High School. I was in the gym class for about a year with DJ Cool Herc. So, you know, I was there when hip-hop began, and I'm I'm loving that, you know. Uh, I got a brother who DJs at uh, WHCR Radio uh, named Kwame. He's got his, uh, I forget the name of his show, but he's on uh, Monday nights. So I'm, you know, giving him, un- he doesn't even know. I didn't even know I was going to say that, but I just want to let you all know that that's what he's doing. Uh, okay. I've been, uh, I've been um, coaching again since uh, 2001. I actually got my life purpose, which is to leave people better than I found them. Uh, I actually got that in a, in a personal development classroom. Um, 
uh, in 2007 shocked me. I didn't know that because what I learned was that love been been staring in my face my whole life, and and I had this moment of clarity where, like, my, I realized that this is what my life is about. So I haven't been able to stop ever since, and I can't, and I won't. So I'll be kind of, you know, it's almost like God has got me operating like P. Diddy. Won't stop, can't stop, don't stop. That's where I'm at. That's where I'm at around that. Um, uh, one of the things I do is I know how to take information and package it in a way that anybody can get it. So if you, you know, somebody wants to know how to learn about um, how to learn how to teach people how to build cars, I don't know how to build cars, but I know how to put it together so you can teach somebody else how to build cars. So I don't care what the content is, right? Uh, and I use that for myself. Um, I was a um, uh, popular guy, I'll say that, for about 30 years, and I learned a lot of, a lot of my relationship stuff from that. Um, currently, uh, I'm stepping into the world of, con- of consulting, but I know that, the, like, I owe it to society to give them what I got about relationships, because I've had a recent revelation on top of all the other ones in the last year and a half is that even though relationships are not all that easy, they're very, very simple. There's not that many things. And one of my commitments is before I leave this planet that relationships are as simple for people to learn and be good at as driving. Mm. So you go to driving school and, you know, it covers a few things. And, yeah, you may not be able to, you know, win the Indianapolis 500, but you could drive safely for 50 years, right? So, like, the way I've learned about relationships is possible for people to get relationships that well because I was watching people who actually had relationships that well, and I could say what they can't say, but they've been living. So my commitment mm. is at some point to have romantic relationships where you can count on it being, you know, 20, 30, 50 years or till death do us part rather than, you know, what's wrong with him and how come she ain't paying me no attention and, oh, she left me and all that other crap. So you know, this piece here that we're going to talk about today touches on some of that. Um, okay. I also, I also got a couple of workshops I just want to say out there. I'm not saying when I'm going to have them. Uh, maybe the audience will tell me we need it now, and then I'll create a date, right? But a couple of the workshops that I've created is um, something called uh, Qualifying Men Just for Women. This is so that women can actually understand and recognize who's the right kind of guy for her. Right, because a lot of times women will see that, um, you know, in their mind, the guy they, they're talking to is a frog, right? And they can't tell until later. But when, mm-hmm. unfortunately, when a woman sees a man as a frog, she turns into an animal herself. The animal she turns herself into when she turns him into a frog is a porcupine. Frogs can't get close to porcupines, man. So it's like it's messed up on both ends. And then I got another program for the fellas. It's called What Women Want from Men But Can't Tell Them. And, you know, I know you fellas, we've been um, looking at um, women like, I don't know how to figure her out, right? But they, they are figure outable. You just got to understand the concept. You just got to go to Venus for a little while, <laughs> watch the creatures, read the newspapers, and then come back and you can actually work with them a little bit. So I got a program for that. And then I got another program called Making Relationships Work, which talks about, you know, the, the simplicity of relationships, the things you got to cover so that, again, you know, you can make it as simple as, um, what do you call it? As simple as uh, driving, when you finally do figure it out, it's not like it's easy to find the right person, but it's easy to make it work when you do. And so that's what that's about. So anyhow, um, show is in your hands. I turn the floor over to you. 
Wait, say that again. I'm sorry. I said, so So I'm turning the floor back over to you, my brother. Oh, indeed, indeed. Um, Bill, any questions before we begin? Hey, can I do what now? I said, any questions for uh, Brother Tony before we begin? No, I mean, he, he set it up beautifully. I, I just want to get right into it. Thing All is, right. brother. I, I, yeah, let's just get right into it. All right, great. So, um, the stages of love, you know, you could call them the stages of relationship, but, you know, like every human being in a relationship goes through these stages, whether they know it or not. And, you know, they go through it in different speeds. You know, sometimes they go through all five of these stages in like a couple of months. Rare, but it happens. And sometimes people don't go through the, go through all the stages. They get either stuck in stage uh, two or three for like ten years. Depends, you know. So I'll just talk about them real quickly. And if you have any questions while I'm talking, I'd really appreciate hearing them because it'll help me to explain it further. So I just wanted to like let you know that. So the first stage is infatuation, and that's that chemistry feeling where, you know, uh, uh, you know, our body starts floating around, and, you know, we get all excited, and, you know, this person turns around, turns on, and, and we're laughing, and all of that stuff, right? So most of the time, people uh, fall in love with that initial stage. They actually think that's love, and mm-hmm. what it really is is infatuation, because you don't know the other person yet, but you just like them a lot, and you got a good feeling about it. One of the things that I share with people when I talk to them about relationships or anything really is that feelings are terrific servants, terrible masters. The reason why I say that is because as great as feelings are, they can't help you figure things out. There's so many people get mad, and they express their feelings, and they feel good after 10 seconds or a minute and a half, and then they either chase somebody away, committed a crime or something else, because they followed their feelings rather than followed their vision and looked at what the impact is going to be. So when people follow their feelings, usually what happens is they stop analyzing the person in front of them. So they can't see blind spots. They can't see, you know, red flags. They can't see that stuff until later. And so you can enjoy the infatuation stage, but you've got to know there's something else coming. And as a matter of fact, all of those fairy tales, you know, where, uh, you know, the, the prince comes and saves, you know, the, the, the damsel in distress, they all yeah. end, they all end right at the end of the infatuation stage. <laughs> you don't see nothing else that's happening. All those movies from the 40s and 50s where the guy kisses the girl and her leg is up at the end and it says the end, that's the end of the infatuation stage, but you never see what happens afterwards. That's, mm. that's, just, that's just the beginning of the end. So then the second stage is called doubt. This is when, you know, you've been there and then all of a sudden they do something and you're like, well, what kind of thing is that? Or whatever your reaction to whatever they do that you don't like or maybe they did something that reminded you of, you know, the last people that you were dating and it didn't work out or your ex-husband, ex-wife. And so you start wondering and now everything they do makes you worry and wonder. Most people end relationships around there. And if they don't end the relationship there, the other thing they'll do is they'll say, you know, <laughs> I really like this person and I don't want I don't want to be negative, so I'm going to be positive. And so they brush aside everything that comes up in the doubt stage. 
And so they never really get to know who the person really is. And the reason why it's so important to know that this doubt stage is coming, because it's coming. If they took that scene where it says oh, the end and um, question ahead. This is where denial starts playing. It's it's wearing its ugly head. Yes. I didn't see what I just saw. For the sake of what I want to see in terms of my fantasy, I'm willing to act as if what I did see, I didn't see. Right. Or you start selling yourself out because you're scared you won't get somebody this way again. Or you don't think it's possible to actually feel the same way about this person in the beginning as you do now, so you're scared, so you put everything aside so you can maintain those original feelings. Or, you know, you'll you'll do the opposite. You'll start getting super pessimistic, and now you're just looking for, waiting for them to leave you. Or you might get clingy, or somebody might get clingy on you. You know, or you can't hear what they're saying anymore. You're too busy thinking about what you're thinking about. You you don't hear them. You hear your interpretation of them. Mm. It clouds everything up if you don't give yourself permission to actually experience the doubt. You can't be in a powerful relationship if you don't give yourself permission to see their dirty drawers, so to speak, because you can't really be in a relationship if – you can't be with the worst of them because you haven't accepted them fully. See, love, love, it depends on you ex- expect, uh, um, uh, accepting somebody fully. They're good and they're bad. You know, when people have kids, you know, kids do crazy stuff. Parents don't stop loving them. But we don't treat each other, we don't love each other the same way, you know, we love our relatives. But we're all relatives because we're all humans. And so, yeah, some people work together better than others. Some people are a better match than others. But it doesn't mean that you can you, you have to love people less or you have to manipulate yourself or you have to worry or doubt and all that other stuff. The doubt's coming, but you don't have to be stopped by or managed by the doubt. You just have to give yourself permission. The other part about the doubt thing is this. When you meet somebody and it's exciting, you're in the infatuation stage, it's like the pendulum. It's all the way up on one side, but eventually, because of gravity and the way life goes, it swings the other way. Doubt is the opposite end of the pendulum of the swing. Make sense? Mm. Yeah. Right. So, you know, in the beginning, you learn everything about them, so to speak. Not really, but, you know, it seems like you learn everything about them to love and to like. And then on the other side, you get the chances to love everything about, see everything about them that you probably won't like. I remember... <laughs> So I've been divorced twice. It's one of the reasons why I, I know what I'm doing is because I feel like Thomas Edison. You know, Thomas Edison, it took him 10,000 times to figure out how to fix, create the light bulb. Well, I think I'd have messed up every way you can mess up in a relationship uh, more than twice. So that's like I know what works now because I know what doesn't. And so I remember one time I was sitting with my first ex-wife, and um, we was watching A Different World back in the day. And um, I forget what one of the ladies was, the, the dark-skinned one. She had the wide hips, and she hardly was with a relationship. She had one boyfriend. And she was talking about – she was in the infatuation stage, and she was sitting there watching him, and he had his face almost all the way in the book. And she thought that was so cute. 
and me and my wife at the time was married about four or five years, and we laughed our heart out because we was looking at them saying, she thinks that's cute, that's cute, but in two years she's going to be so pissed off at him reading like that, she's going to wonder what's wrong with him, right? Because <laughs> the things that we think are cute are often the things that we think are going to piss us off later because, you know, we all have our idiosyncrasies and like that stuff. So you got to you have to accept that you're going to go through doubt. And so you can actually see who the person really is. That's the purpose mm-hmm. of it. You can't see them if you only see what's good about them. You got to see what's good about them and also what doesn't work about them before you can really choose to be with them. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. All right. Anybody got any questions before I continue on? No, sir. All right, good. Please continue. Yes. All right, good. Stage three is commitment. So now, by and bypass the doubt stage, but they're not really committed. They're just scared to lose. And so they don't really commit. What they're saying is, well, this is working really good, and I, it's been a long time since I was, you know, with somebody worth being with, so I'm going to make this work. But when people go through both the infatuation stage and the doubt stage, then they say to themselves, yeah. well, I don't know if, if you're perfect, but I'm going to give it my best shot. Right. I, I've, I've gotten this far. I've expended this much energy. I've made X amount of sacrifices. I might as well keep it going. So it's not so much that the commitment is being made as much as the acquiescence to, you know, the forward motion, even if you're going forward sideways. Yeah, if a person is going forward sideways, they haven't really committed. They're still, you know, they're still thinking, you know, it's not like, okay, I think I could really love you and I'm willing to give it my best shot. And I see both what works and what doesn't work. And so it's almost like I know you're not perfect, but I think you're perfect for me. Let's try it. But 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 with a commitment to making it work, not for any other reason. You know, um, I remember I'll give you an example of what I mean by, by telling an, an analogy. There's this story called the uh, the water bearer in the in the buckets. And uh, this is a a Chinese guy, you know, 5,000 years ago. He was a water bearer for the king or the emperor. And so he would walk two miles with a bucket, but one of the buckets had crack in it. And so by the time he got back from the um, well, that bucket only had half a bucket of water, and the other one was full and perfect, and it had, you know, full water. And so... um, the, you know, it's an analogy, so the bucket is talking, the crack bucket is talking to the water bearer. It says, you know, I feel real bad that I'm not good enough. The other guy's perfect, and, you know, I, I'm sorry to disappoint you and make you work so hard. And, you know, for a long time, the, the water bearer didn't pay any attention to that. So then one time he heard it one time too many. And he said, as he was walking, he said, okay, um, got the bucket of water. and says, on the way back, I want you to look at your side of the road. And look at both sides of the road, but look at your side of the road in particular. And when he got back to the uh, to the emperor, giving the water, and you know, again, give a bucket and a half of water, the uh, the water bearer asked the bucket uh, again, "Did you happen to notice your side of the road?" He said, "Yeah. Well, it seems like there's a lot more flowers there." He said, "And that's why I keep you because you you provide more than one thing. You think you're not perfect because you don't bring as much water, but you've been." Beautifying our road the whole time we've been traveling. That's why I haven't replaced you. So you don't see your own value. 
So when a person is dealing with doubt, they have to be able to see the real value of the other person and, and have a commitment to bringing out the greatness in the other person. If they can do that and be with this person's negativity, they can actually commit and build something. But they actually got to be conscious enough to do that rather than just going by their feelings, their chemistry, you know, their, their list of things that they need to have. It's got to be a conscious, real decision to commit. It's not just, well, you know, we don't made it this far. Hmm. Does that communicate? Indeed. Yeah. So one of the things that's that's critical for a relationship is that both people want the same thing in a relationship. So now they're partners in, in supporting each other in creating this relationship. That's something to love because they're playing together in the game that they most want to play with their favorite person. And so they can put up with what doesn't work because – the things that's most important to them, they both want for each other and for themselves, and that's what they're creating in the commitment. They see that they could play the same games. It's why they could deal with your crap and still want to be with you. It's not out of it's not out of um, scarcity. It's not out of desperation. It's not out of you know any other thing except for this could you know when you say this could work. But it could work because I see what I, what's important to me and what's important to you is the same. And we'll listen to each other. So once you get to that stage and you can actually start committing, what you're actually committing to is you're actually committing to um, how to make this work. In some cases, in some ways, not some cases, in some ways you're actually kind of building a business called your relationship. You know, how are we going to, have our families interact with each other? How are we going to do our money together because we got built together or something? Like, you got to start because after sex and, you know, hanging out, there's life that's got to get handled. So that commitment stage allows people to start bringing their life to the other person's life. It's more than just chemistry. And so that's that's the essence of the commitment stage. Okay, Let's build our life together. Let's, let's see if we can. There's no guarantee, and it can still fall apart at that point. But, but that's the foundation of it. Stage four is vulnerability. So now, it's so hard for most human beings, and I'd say black folks in particular, to let their hair down and be willing to be weak, defeated, beaten, because they, sh- they shared themselves and the other person wouldn't accept it. And so a lot of times people in relationships, they could be in a relationship 20 years, they still don't let their hair down. Well, no, I can't say that. They could be in relationships five to seven years. It's about the max you could be in a relationship and not really let your hair down and still have the relationship working. After a while, it's like it just can't take it anymore. The, person will, the other person will feel too alone. But before then, you know, people are pretty good at, you know, masking their, their feelings. You know, and, and as much as women are into feelings, women are just as good at hiding their feelings because they won't tell you directly what's going on with them. They make you try to figure it out, or they'll pretend to be one thing and be hiding behind another. Everybody knows that men know how to protect their feelings. They just don't say. They go in a man cave, you know, they come home, they go to sleep, they ain't got much to say. You know, it's pretty easy. We're, we're like dogs, but women are like cats. Dogs come, go out in the street, play around, 
fall down, get dirty, knock down the, the, the trash uh, uh, trash can, and they come home wagging their tail like, <laughs> hi. And they left all these signs, and you don't know. At least the woman can see all the signs, right? The ladies, they're like cats. They could do all of this stuff, but you never know a thing about them. But at the same time, they got the same thing. They hide themselves, and, you know, they're managing you and all that other stuff. So different styles, same outcome. And so in the vulnerability stage, it's like, can I show you my sores and you won't pick at them and beat me up? You'll still love me even though you see all my sores. You don't really get that space until you get in that stage. Because with some people, depending on their mindset, if they're paranoid, if they're impatient, you know, if they're just not mature enough, they will see your vulnerabilities as weaknesses and take advantage of you in the doubt stage or make you wrong in the doubt stage. But by this stage, it's like, you're honoring the other person by letting them see you fully. Like that's really has an opportunity for them to love your dirty drawers, as I say sometimes. And you can't really trust a person fully unless you can be yourself fully and they'll still love you for it. And this is the stage when it really gets to happen. Once you've, once you've been able to make that happen, now – Love can show up because you've handled pretty much every really big problem that can happen. I mean, granted, you know, you, you still got your health, right? You, you know, if you didn't lose a leg or, you know, have a you know, brain aneurysm or some other physical or major problem that could disrupt the relationship, if you haven't had that before here, now you can actually, like, when you say I love you, you're saying it from the bottom of your heart because you've already gotten everything out of the way that could get in the way of love. Then, of course, there's managing the relationship, and there's a whole other story. But you you have to get things out of the way of love for love to show up. And so that's what I got for this, and I'm complete for now. Indeed, indeed. Okay. Those are the stages you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. What about the stages? I didn't, I didn't get that. No, but you just walk. Yeah, I walked y'all through the stages that couples have to go through in order for them to actually create a love that will last. You know, mm-hmm. I've, I've 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 been in I've been in relationships where the doubt stage lasted a year because <laughs> she wouldn't stop doubting. You know, like. If she saw something that was wrong, that was just another reason for doubt. Like, that would verify her doubt rather than just get the doubt complete. Like, you know, if it's not going to work, let me know. I'm a grown-up. I can handle it. If it's going to work, then stop doubting one or the other, you know. And so I've seen that happen, and, yeah, it doesn't work. What about when the doubt is more psychologically, you know, embedded in the person? What if it's more about them than it is about you, you know what I'm saying? And their doubt is something that's recurring from past relationships or abuse or just something, you know, that just might be psychologically screwed up about that person where they just can't really seem to let their guards down. And even if you're showing this person that you're trustworthy, you know, there just needs to be a level of work that needs to be done on them that's probably just not going to be you know, it's just not as simple as touch and go. You know what I'm saying? It's just going to take a little bit more time and a little bit more uh, attention and work. Yeah. So um, that happens all the time. 
That's happening in every country, in every section of every city right now, as we speak, clearly. But if you're dealing with somebody who doesn't know how to not doubt, you need to leave them alone and let them heal themselves unless you have the skill set to help them heal. Because, like, happiness is an inside job. Can't nobody make you happy. All they could do is offer you their happiness, and you'll take it or not. But if their capacity to accept love is like a Dixie cup when you've got a, uh, a swimming pool worth of love, then you're just going to overrun them. They can't handle it. And you either have to shrink or leave them alone or help them grow. Most folks don't have the skill set to help other people grow. It's a rare skill set, and it's challenging. It ain't easy. But if you can do that, you should do that because then you're helping them grow. And even if it doesn't work, you try to help somebody grow and it doesn't work, you're doing society a favor because you're making it easier for the next person who's going to deal with them to be able to deal with them. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like you're paying it forward even if it doesn't work out. But otherwise, if they can't keep up with you, you know, you don't want to ride a, a tricycle when you're trying to drive a motorcycle. You know, it's like they got to keep up with you. You know, really, they should, at least for what you're talking about, which is the workability of the relationship. You know? mm. And how does one go about gauging, you know, how does one go about gauging, um, you know, where, where they're at in their relationship as to whether they're going to be capable of that, you know what I'm saying, how long should one stick around, what are the signs that you're looking for to see that this person's damage is beyond, you know, what it is that you can offer in regards to uh, healing them or repairing them or, excellent you know, helping question. them grow. Yeah, excellent question. So, um I read a lot, and I remember reading uh, Conversations with God. It's a, it's a world-class, you know, New York Times bestseller, like world-class bestseller. And in there, um, the author says that um, nobody does anything wrong given their model of the world, really meaning their mental model, the way they see the world, the way the world is set up in their brain. What I mean by the way the world is set up in this brain is if you took ten people, to a home that you were trying to sell, and you said, okay, I want you to tell me how you would decorate and design this room, you'd have 10 different versions of how that room would look like, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So the same way people have different versions of how um, a room would, a living room would look like in an empty house, how they would do it, they also have 10 different versions. Those same 10 people would most likely have 10 different versions of what a relationship would look like or 10 different versions right. Of, you know, right like that, right? So what you would want to do is find ways to see how they have relationships set up in their brain and then show them new ways, new different different models of relationships. So one of the skills that I talked about was having a skill set called mental modeling. I'm telling you what that is right this minute. It's like being able to listen to how people have the world set up in their head and then give them other ones. And what I mean by giving them other ones is that if you tell somebody, hey, you know, what you're doing ain't right, you should try this way, they'll argue with you. But if you give them five different ways of looking at life, then they're going to be like, whoa, 
you know, maybe there's more ways. <laughs> One way, they just consider that an argument. Five ways, they can't deny all five. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So you, you give them a variety of choices to look at life, and then they'll, chances are they'll, they'll, they'll look at life, they'll, they'll choose something else, and they don't even have to get rid of their old way of looking at it. They'll add some of the new things you gave them to what they already do, which is good. You know, add to it. They don't have to get rid of what you already have. But if they can't take that, the next best thing to do is to help them see what they're great at and then help them get better at that thing that they're great at. Usually people are great at stuff that they don't know they're great at because it's so easy for them to do it that they don't even give it any value. I got started as a coach because I would do so much about relationships, I didn't even think it was important. When I first heard people pay to get coached about how to meet women, I was like, really? I, I was shocked for like six months. But I was in a men's organization where they wouldn't leave me alone for two years until I realized, oh, maybe I should be doing this thing since they won't leave me alone. Like I realized how much people didn't have it. So the second thing I would say is to help, teach people what's great about them and then help them get better at it or help them to realize how valuable it is or both. That would be the second thing. So the first thing is understand how they see the world and give them new ways of looking at it. The second thing is to, is to see what's great about them and help them get greater at it. If neither one of those two things work, they ain't ready for you. You should leave them alone. Because they can't accept it. They ain't grown enough, big enough to handle it. So you do your best. But, you know, you can only bring a horse to water. You can't make them drink. You know what I mean? That's what I would, that's what I would advise for people. And nah. if I ever come up with a third idea, I promise I'll come back on the show and tell you what it is. I ain't got a third idea yet, though. <laughs> Let's get into a scenario, okay? Yep. Let's put ourselves in the place of, you know, the youth of today, you know, in this scenario, probably you know was for the youth of yesterday, but for the sake of the now, let's say that we're the youth of today, um, we 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 have no models right of positive relationships, either in our physical life or our alternative life. Our alternative life consists of things we're seeing on TV, right? Books that we're reading, yeah. magazines that we're reading, video games that we're playing. You know what I'm saying? Stories that yep. we've heard, okay, yep. even our own imagination. We can't fathom it because it's just not part of our reality. So we never heard of the, the love coach. We don't know about the five stages of love. You know, right yep. before we get into doubt, we've already engaged in intercourse because, you know, we met him in the club. He was high off the mollies and, and, and the Chirac and everything. You know, yep. we had the intercourse. She's pregnant. Boom. I'm not really 100% sure how I feel about her, but the sex was good. Yep. And she got a fatty. Yep. You know what I'm saying? I and I haven't even all of the ways in which I'm thinking I can do what it is that I want to do with her on the lust slash infatuation um, rung of the ladder. Okay. Yep. Now, there's a level of commitment that I have committed to already because she's pregnant, you know what I'm saying? And she's going to go through this phase, you know what I'm saying? And she's going to bear a child, and I'm going to be with her for the rest of my life. Yeah. 
whether it's something that I was intending on doing or not. Yep. So what do you do for somebody like that? Yes. How does one adapt to a situation now where they're all in, they haven't even been in a situation long enough where they know the person even over the phone, let alone living with them, now you're bringing a replication into the world that's modeled after, you know, the fact that you at least knew enough to say I was lusting after this woman because her fatty was banging. Yeah. Well, you know, that's a super challenging concern that you brought up there, man. Because, you know, you're talking about the young folks that they ain't got no mentoring, they, they probably don't trust adults because ain't no adult really took care of them, like honored them. They might have fed them and, you know, gave them clothes, but not really, like, mentored them from the inside, like took care of them. Um, and if the person did, that the youngin didn't have the experience of, like, it didn't feel to them like they were being taken care of. You know, that's a, if you don't feel like you're being taken care of, it's the same thing as not being taken care of to you, you know? Right. So, so you know, I... If I could whisper in their ear, I could only whisper two words. I would whisper in their ear, Google relationships. <laughs> because there's enough, information, there's enough information out there in the world that you can at least, maybe you won't get masterful, but you'll begin to start learning stuff that you don't know. Here's why. One of the things that I've learned is the average book, the average author that writes a book is giving you about 10 years of experience and about 250 pages on average. So that means that if you take three weeks to read this book, you can get 10 years of knowledge in about three weeks. This is one of the reasons why I'm wondering, I'm surprised that people don't read more. Like, you can get 10 years of training, in some cases, 30 years of training, and two weeks to a month. What the hell is that about? Why not, right? So Google relationships is what I would say <laughs> because there are so many people out here. I have to, I'm going to say, I'm going to be bold enough to say most of them don't know as much about relationships with me because either they're not as old as I am or they don't have as much experience or they haven't gotten it personal experience or whatever. But you know, it doesn't matter because there's so many different ways of looking at relationships. There's so many different people with skill sets. And I could recommend some, you know, some awesome companies that I would recommend fully. I'd send my children to those programs, you know, like I had that much trust in them. But I would say Google relationships because, again, you can get 10 to 30 years of experience in three to four weeks if you just read a daggone book once in a while. And if they don't do that, then the next thing I would do, and I'm actually going to suggest this to y'all if you actually want to put this together, is I would I would ask some nonprofit or something to put together like five couples that have been married between 20 and 50 years and let young folks interview them so they could see what it took for them to be married that long, happily married that long. That would be awesome. I just thought about this on this call, like, like on the last 10 minutes. Yeah, genius. Yeah. Yeah. I actually, 
you know, one of the reasons why I know what I know is because I was selling furniture in North Carolina between 2001 and 2004. And in North Carolina, what people do for, for fun is they go home, they buy furniture, and then they enjoy the house and hang out with their family. That's what they do down there. Up here, we go shopping, we go to sports, we do all kind of hanging out. You know, we work two or three jobs. We ain't got time to be home. That's why New Yorkers ain't got a problem with having, you know, a 500-square-foot apartment for, like, $3,000 in Midtown. Right? <laughs> Down there, they need to have a backyard, the barbecue. They need to have room for all their family to come over because family be over one house this week, next house next week, and, you know, that's how they live, right? So I watched mm-hmm. these couples. I watched these couples for those two and a half years I was down there, man, and they looked a lot the same, even though white family this one, Chinese black that one, and you know. <laughs> and then being in a men's organization to watch men that's been happily married successfully for twenty, thirty years, forty years. I did a dating workshop called um, uh, the um, uh, the art of romance, and the people that got the most out of it was one that was married for nineteen years. And the other one was married for 42 years, and these two women. They were the they got the most mm-hmm. out of the romance, man. It was amazing. I was, like, so honored because, like I said, I was married 42 years. She's like, thank you for this, you know. So apparently her husband wasn't doing what I told him to do, but he's doing it now. So, um, yeah, so education. That's what they need to do. They need to go out on their own because, you know, they'll educate themselves on video games, you know, and, you know, how to take advantage of Pinterest and, Reddit and, you know, Instagram. So go learn about relationships, man. That's what I would say. Please. So you're saying based on your personal experiences, you've been able to gather that environment dictates um, the flow and the nature of relationships? Yes. Hmm. Yeah, I I have personally was, uh, you know, I'm just going to say it. I was personally, I was a a womanizer for almost 30 years. I've read, I don't know, almost 3,000 books, man. I've read so many books because I know, you know, two weeks later I could have 10 years' worth of experience and knowledge in two weeks, three weeks. And then uh, I spent, since, since 1999, I spent almost 20,000 hours in personal development training, part of which has me learn how to create my own training programs, you know. So from teaching, learning and teaching people how to shift their mindset, personal experience myself, and then, you know, learning the experiences and the best of, of lots of other people. And, you know, that makes up my ability to be able to do this. And, and it's funny how I notice that, I, that what I'm on to something is when I talk to people that's been married for a long time and I tell them some stuff, they would be like, oh, yeah, we do that. Oh, yeah, I never thought of saying it like that, but that is what we do. And so if I, if I was talking to, to those, those couples, they'd be like, yeah, that's right, yeah, that's right, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I, I wouldn't be telling them anything new. But they just don't have the language for it. You know what I mean? Like they don't know how to say it to somebody else. How you know mm-hmm. they don't know how? To, how you know they don't know how to say it is? Because they're married forty years and their kids are going through their third divorce. Because they know how to teach their kids that. They're just too busy living it. You know. So if somebody wow. could, it's, it, you you see it all the time, right? I mean, ain't that true? Yeah. Because they don't have the language to say what it is that they're doing. They never systematized. They never thought about it. They're too busy living and enjoying it to be able to tell anybody else it. And so one of the things that I've been blessed with is to be able to see it and interpret, recognize, you know, it systematically what's what's been working. And so I, I'm, you know, for me, part of my job in life is to make sure everybody else gets it. But 
you right. know, again, I, I, again, I want to say, I mean, I want you to ask me as much as possible around this particular topic, but when you when you always talking about, you know, world love, I, I want to talk about that a little bit before, you know, y'all end the show or have me end the show or whatever, because that is is almost more important than the relationship side of love. Okay. Um, anyhow, you know, I've been... Thank you. I've been talking for a while. I want to hear from y'all, man. I know you got questions, but oh no, brother, don't don't. We've been listening. You've been sharing your wisdom. Yeah. You know. Uh, yeah, we are conversing with you. Um, I want you to get into what it is that you're saying is of interest to you by way of this love that you're talking about. Now, you said the aspect of what we were talking about with love as it applies to. The, the 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 quote unquote the black dynamic, um, yeah, it's the society, um, the community, the, 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 the overarching yeah. What I was talking about was love of country, which yep. plays into love of of one's God, which plays into love of one's self identity, which yep. plays into love of self itself. So, yeah, all of those things are connected, and we don't take such a close look at. The possibilities and the impossibilities, you know what I'm saying, of these love dynamics. You know, how can one not love where they're from? But then again, how can one say that they love where they're from and be part and parcel of a system that is constantly violating that place and that thing? You know? (laughs) I do. It's just like the Catch-22 involved with it. And it's like, how can one not be proud of the very place that they call home? But, you know, there's a social dynamic that's in play in the place that they call home that is exhibiting everything but love when it yeah. comes to them. Yeah. Uh, so there's a couple of things, man. You know, when you said, you guys, get yeah, keep going. You, you, you going to say something else? Or? No, I, I think that, um, you got my point from, from there. Yeah, yeah, I do. I really, really do, man. It, it actually touched my heart. Like I said in the beginning, I was like, man, I'd rather talk about what you brought up than what I'm bringing up, you know, <laughs> because what I'm bringing up is a specific thing for people on an individual level, but what you was talking about was on a global level. I'm really, you know, I'm totally interested in that, committed to that. So, you know, I'll say a couple of things. So um, the first thing is I have I want to recommend a book to you two gentlemen in particular, because I get that your, your commitment is to, like, have life work for black folks, particularly here in the United States, but globally, right? So I have a book I'm going to recommend to you, and anybody listening, feel free to get it too. It's a business book, but it's about how to manage organizations and um, how to manage the culture inside of an organization. So, you know, mm. you can use this for a business or you can use this for a society or a community. So um, right. there's five aspects to it, and I'm I'm really familiar with like two and a half of them. I haven't mastered the other two. The other two. Um, so the name of the book is called The Fifth Discipline. The Fifth Discipline, and it's written by a guy named Peter Sange. S E N G E. Peter Sange is a operational genius. He created this concept called system thinking. The reason why I'm bringing this up is because you talked about these different communities, 
different aspects of life all over the place, not connected with each other. And how could that be? Because they can't see how they're connected. The reason I'm bringing up this book, The Fifth Discipline, is because it talks about how systems are in place and where the issues are in the system. So, in other words, some systems, you know, are kind of like a vicious cycle. The worse it gets, the worse it gets. He shows you what that looks like. Some systems is the more, no matter how hard you try, things stay the same, even when you don't like it. He talks about those kind of systems, and he talks about how some part of a system, you know, things just escalate out of control, and some parts of the system, they freeze, you can't do nothing about it. And then different aspects of it and, and the time delays and stuff like that. So I'm offering that to you because you're talking some real serious stuff, and this guy, you know, he, he first wrote this book in 1998 or something, but this book is so cutting edge. If he wrote it 30 years from now, it would still be cutting edge then. I don't even know what technology would come. This thing is like like super serious secret sauce. So I'm offering right. it to you because you all are talking about this. This is, you know, if you can figure out the systems thinking part of this book, awesome. And by the way, that's where I learned mental modeling because that's, that's one of the five distinctions in that book, mental modeling I was talking about earlier. I yeah. got it out of that yeah. book. So, okay. so that's the first thing. Spell his last name again, please. S like Sam, E N G like girl E, Sengi. Sengi, okay. Yeah, yeah. Book is the bomb, man. I'm telling you, it's <laughs> unbelievable. So, uh, so that'll show you about how systems work, and I mean systems meaning you know organizations, communities like that. Um, that's so that's thing. Yeah. The second thing I'm going to say is I was reading. Uh, a, I get the Huffington Post, and I read it every day, man, I, especially the politics and the business section. And so mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a, um, a congressman, I believe, in the South who the headline for that article was uh, Senator Hamana Hamana or Governor Hamana Hamana um, doesn't believe that Ebola has anything to do with race. He, said he, doesn't, think it's a, he doesn't think it's about race. And I was thinking, yeah, well, that's what you think. <laughs> just because he doesn't think it's about race doesn't mean the way they're treating it here in the United States isn't about race. He just can't see it. Right. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? So, is, is what he thinks. Right. What you think don't mean crap. You know, I mean, it means people who, it means something to people who think the way he do, but it don't mean crap in reality because everybody used to right. think the world's flat. And let me, um, if you would allow me to, very briefly, I was on, looking man. at a clip. It was a, it was an older clip a few years back with Montel Williams. Mm-hmm. And Montel Williams had Gary Webb on the program, the author mm-hmm. of Dark Lion, the subject of this movie coming out called Kill the Mess- Messenger. And Gary Webb was the person that cracked open, you know, the CIA's um, involvement in, 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 crack, in crack trade, you know, the cocaine mm-hmm. And what have you. And yeah. he was there with another um gentleman, um, Michael I think his name was Michael Levine. Um don't quote me on that, but if people Google Kill the Messenger, that's a book actually that is written by a BEA agent named Michael, maybe his last name is Levine. And this mm-hmm. person was hands on. He was part of the deals. He wasn't on the outside, he was inside, he was deep cover. He was in the mansions. He was behind enemy lines. 
do cover making deals and transactions with cartels for metric tons of cocaine just to have the orders down from the DEA and the CIA to kill the deal. I mean, to kill the, uh, you know, the arrest. Like, don't touch this person. You know, hands off to them. You know, he was like, what's going on? Like, I'm, I'm being sabotaged by my government. You know what I'm saying? Here, I'm yeah. sitting here with the kingpin. I'm about to make a, a, the bust of the decade. And the top, yeah. you know, the top officials is sending down an order not to touch him. As a matter of fact, to let the coke come through, don't even make the arrest. So they had some congressmen do. And then they, uh, amazingly, they had Charlie Rangel there that was riding as well for the investigation to be opened up, you know, for um, – he was balking on the CIA back then. Then they had this congressman dude that came in, and they had another brother as well who represented uh, a radio station in the D.C. area, and he was like, my constituents are up in arms about this. You know what I'm saying? People are calling me, not just black people, but white people, Chinese, you know, everybody's calling in, and they want answers and what have you. Obviously, there was a certain level of fervor around this when it was a heated topic, you know what I'm saying? And people wanted answers back then. So this guy comes on there, he's a congressman, and he's like, you guys don't know what you're talking about. And he was like, how? What are you talking about? We don't know what we're talking about. We did the investigation. What's your proof to say that we don't know what we're talking about? He was just like, you're talking about a reputable organization such as the CIA, and I just think that what you're saying is just purely hogwash. But he didn't have no proof. <laughs> Just the authority of his word, because he was a congressman, was supposed to be enough for him to say, I don't feel what you're saying, and I think that you're wrong. And people were supposed <laughs> to run with that. Man, they ate that dude's food on, on stage. And it's the same thing as what you're talking about with this fool talking about he doesn't think yeah. that Ebola isn't race-based. And my thing is, whether we think it or not, Subconsciously, what we're being led to do specifically is to think that it's race-based because, right, when two Europeans contracted it and they brought them back here to America, to Atlanta, and they gave them the Z-map, they had the cure. Yep. But they're telling you, not only is you not good enough to have it to get the cure here as a citizen, quote unquote, because he came the the the, the, the gentleman came from Liberia, right, and he came here to Dallas or what have you, and he contracted it, and they didn't make one mention of the map. You know what I'm saying? They ain't break none of it out. They ain't even give them, you know what I'm saying? No uh no uh, uh no what you call that um residue off the side of the plate or nothing. They ain't cut it, you know what I'm saying? They ain't cut it with silver. They ain't do nothing. They ain't give them no herbal remedy. They ain't do nothing. They just let them die. Mm. And then they ain't send one quarter inch of it to Africa to heal nobody. So what they're telling you is that you don't have a complexion for the correction. So subliminally they let you know that even if it's race-based or not, you still don't fit the bill. In yeah. order to be taken, you're only qualified to die if you get it. But if you're a European, if you're vocation, you know what I'm saying? It's possibly something we can do for you. Well, what I'm present to is that's like 70% accurate, but the other part is 
If you ain't got the money to pay for it, sorry, my brother. Oh, you I mean, can't that's, leave that's, out the that's money. Really that's really the deal. Right, you know right, right. So, yeah, it's, it's the money first, the right second. End of the day, yeah. <laughs> you know, because, like, O.J. got off because he could afford to get off. If he couldn't have paid that 4 or $5 million he had, he'd have been a locked-up mofo. You know what I'm saying? But he could afford Absolutely. to pay. He could have... You only get as much justice in this country as you can afford to get. Because he and, can't afford it for the next case. Right. Remember, right, they so, tapped him out. Right. So, <laughs> you know the deal. Well, you know, he also, he he he, he, he didn't know how to, you know. He got more time for the yeah. second case, which was a quote, he got 33 and a third. Half. Yeah. That's more time. You get 25 years to life for a body. So... <laughs> Yeah, you they made up. Like, yeah, yeah, they yeah. made it. They made up for what they missed in the first yeah. shot. But anyway, yeah, but but, the, but you you get my point, right? You only get as much justice as you can pay for it. You're right. He probably you can man, afford he can have that. It. Yep, yep, yep. And so in this country, it's money first, and I believe race second. But if if but you know, all all, all things being yeah, equal, it's, it's money first. classism. It's a classism yeah. issue. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. But um, there's there's also you know there's a bold emphasis as well, you know, on the quote-unquote racial dynamic. But you're right, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I've I've been led to believe when I saw the thing go down to begin with and when I read up on ZMAP, I'm like, okay, this is something that they're going to be giving to the highest bidder because they already said that the availability is scarce. So who gets it? Who can afford right. it? Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. Who Athletes. can afford it? And, and, and my buddies who are white going to get it, right? Right. Yeah, I got Who's you, man. Who's, who's sponsoring? Right. Oh, you got a sponsor? Okay, cool. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Only so in Dallas, me, yeah, he ain't had no sponsors. Yeah. See, for me, you know, the biggest thing for the African-American community is to learn how to make money, manage money, and be independent. That's the biggest thing, man. Knowledge mm-hmm. second, money first. And then they gotta re- listen. The, the, the United States and other countries, they gotta respect the Japanese. They may not want to respect the Japanese, but they got too much money as a country and too much of a uh, abundance mentality as a race for anybody to look at them funny. They might look at them funny, but they won't treat them funny because they they got money. You know what I'm saying? The Arabs yeah. over there. You know, people in the Middle East, they got all that oil, they got all that money. The United States would probably be pissing on them if they wasn't rich and had resources that the United States needed. You know what I'm saying? So, like, if the... Let me if, tell you something. Yeah. If, right if, before if, I came if, back to New York, yeah, I was in California, right? Yeah, yeah. And I was in Santa Monica. They got more Iranians in Santa Monica. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, just like balling out of control in the area where you'll find Jews and, and Iranians or Persians, for that matter, as they're known, you know, mm-hmm. when, they're in, when they're in the state, they Persian. You mm-hmm. feel me? Because they got they oil money. So everybody's yeah. in the mall and spending thousands upon thousands of dollars on, on high-ticket products. You know, they got all the security that they need, you know what I'm saying? LA, LA, you know what I mean? The police will provide security for them, and they're cool. Ain't nobody treating them like terrorists when they're over here. You know what I'm saying? Because they're making purchases. Right. So, you know, for me, money first, knowledge second. 
those two things for our community is going to make all the difference. I mean, listen, Malcolm X knew damn near knew the Bible, the, uh, the dictionary inside and out, right? And he had the skill set, you know, the knowledge to be able to do amazing things, not the dollars enough to make a difference. You know what I'm saying? Martin Luther King had the same issue. He had the skill set. He had the knowledge to sit there and watch Lyndon Johnson sign rights acts for the African-American community. And by the way, they were acts, not laws. <laughs> like they could be amended and they need to be re, re, re-amended every 25 years. They're not law. It's not like, you know, like that, right? So it's an act. And so, but at the same time, he had the, the skill set and the knowledge and the, and the relationship skills to be able to pull those things off, but not the money. As soon as he went to go f- to deal with the money, to start having, um, uh, you know, marches about making sure that the sanitation workers, and I forget whether, what town down there was getting paid properly, that's when it was like, okay, we got we to gotta finish this thing off here, you know. Um, so he never got the chance to march for our money, just for our personal freedom to say and do things. So as soon as we as a community could figure out how to make money, and have our own inner community where we could pay for whatever we want without anybody giving us any hard time. Until then, man, it's going to be tough, bro. Yeah, and, and that's an interesting place that you come to talking about the money. I want to segue um, the money conversation directly back into relationships. Yeah. And I heard you in a clip when you were on Sinatra TV, and you were speaking about the dynamic of the male and the female, quote-unquote, black relationships and the lack of security that's being uh, felt in the community and, um, you know, what it is that we might be witnessing with the scandal epidemic, you know, in this community where people are like, all of a sudden, you know, our women is checking for the white boy, you know? Yeah. Um, In your assessment, understanding relationships, understanding the needs of a woman by way of security, what is it that you see? Well, what I see when I see it in the black community, what I see is the remnants of um, the Willie Lynch document. Now, I understand the Willie Lynch document was supposedly an urban legend, but it's so grounded in truth that whether somebody made it up or that actually happened didn't matter because that's what happened. You know what I'm saying? Like that's how we retreated. I tell people all the time, yeah, Tony Montana wasn't real. That don't stop niggas from growing up trying to be Scarface. Cut it out. Right, right. It's so, about social dynamics, right. So, you know, I, I was looking at something the other day. must have been early this week or last week. I think it was like this weekend, past weekend or something, where uh, in Colorado, I think it's Colorado, they want to revise uh, the Civil War history. They want to say that the Civil War was about states' rights when it was really that the South said, y'all ain't taking slavery from us, screw y'all. So they want to take that away for some reason or another. Um, you know, it was, a, it was a, you know, the, 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 the South voluntarily gave up, you know, slavery, you know, once they, once they lost the war or something. Get out of here. That wasn't it. I read four different uh, amend, four different declarations from four different southern states, and Georgia being one of them. I think Tennessee was another. Virginia was a third. And they were talking about, no, we listen, you're not taking away our right to have slaves in our slave economy. And that was the reason why that was the, that was the, that was the Civil War. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, what you're saying, what we're talking about here is 
you know, that's that, that um, what do you call it? The, the Willie Lynch document where the slave owner kills off the biggest, strongest one that scares the crap out of the women so that the women want to make their boys grow up to be weak-minded with strong backs so they can do what Massa says. They can't trust the black man because they know that the black man ain't as strong as the white man because they've been raised through that for seven generations or ten generations. And so they treat us like we don't know what we're doing, but we like to have sex with y'all. And then the guys grow up with their pants hanging off their butt. You know, they walk around, um, you know, not thinking that, that being smart is, you know, thinking that being smart is kind of like being a white guy rather than, like, learning how to dominate the country you know, and the planet because our greatest skill set as a species is our brain, not our muscles. Lions can eat us alive. Elephants can step all over us. And bears can slash us to bits. But we got guns. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And we can create traps that they can't even figure out. So if we don't recognize that using our brain is going to make a difference, we ain't going to be able to do anything. So now, what that plays into is that white guys, for the most part, even if they're broke, they got friends and family that'll help them. And so if a white, if a sister want to hang out with a with a brother, she's dealing with two things. You know, in her community, there's no strong black men. You know, her dad left, so she don't got a model. And then all the guys she see, they either the players or they're you know servants, right? They're they're waiters and bus boys and and, uh, and and messengers and, you know, guys making minimum wage damn near. Um, and so she sees a white guy, and, you know, he likes her, and she might think he's cute because, you know, bodies are the same. He's got different skin on it, right? But, you know, he's also got money, and so she can feel safe and secure in that position if if he's willing to allow her to do that and he's willing to try to treat her like, you know, like he would a white woman, you know? I don't know. So, you know, that would be a reason why, you know, you would probably see that, you know, a sister hanging out with a white guy, but but – you know, I don't see a lot of sisters hanging out with white guys personally. I don't really see it. I, 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 what borough you live in? I, I live in the Bronx, man. I don't see that. All right, well, that tsunami. <laughs> we in the Bronx, and that yeah. tsunami has not reached the Bronx yet. You know okay. what I'm saying? The Bronx still has a sense of, you know, um, the Bronx is like the last stronghold it's weird, right, Blue? <laughs> yeah. Like this was this used to be the most savage borough, but it seems to be like the last holdout because, mm-hmm. bro, man, go to any fair outdoor event. Yeah. Go to Brooklyn. Yeah. Any I don't give a damn if it's cultural. It could uh-huh. be the the. It could be Mufasa's birthday. <laughs> Simba and everybody's showing up, and I guarantee you. Robin Thicke lookalikes, everybody, like, and I'm talking about the consciousness, the the, the, the whole teps, you know what I'm saying, the whole tattoos yeah, coming yeah. in on, you know what I mean, like, <laughs> with the Falani errands and all of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I, nah, I, live, in they, Bronx, I live in the Bronx, and I, and, I, and I do, you know, whatever I'm doing, either from home or in Manhattan, you know, downtown in, in the, you know, below 59th Street, right? So, you I, know, that's pretty pretty much, you know, stay white. If there's mixed couples, they eat together because they're too busy working. So that's all kind of the stop, you know. I just, but it goes back to what we were, the, the, what I was reading earlier in a Facebook pat, um, post that I put up about yeah. the void, the fact that the systematic um, dehumanization and the fact that our programmers, you're talking about social social engineering, we're speaking about scientists, we're speaking about psychological 
warfare. We're talking about psych ops. We're not talking about people just suddenly falling in love with each other. That's bullshit, okay? We're talking about the results of integration. We're talking about a program that was initiated post-civil rights that they have put in our people's face. We're talking about the exclusion of the teachings and the doctrines of a Elijah Muhammad, of a Malcolm X, of a Marcus Mosea Garvey, of anybody who speaks to the intellect or represents um, a balanced thought mindset that will have people thinking race first or black is beautiful or anything outside of with the pacifists and other people's and the doctrines that they do promote, like your Martin Martin Luther Kings. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. And damn near nobody else. Gandhi and Martin Luther King. I, you don't hear about anybody. They're not pushing anyone. I mean, we're, and we're talking about because we, 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 we can't speak from a conscious perspective because we truly are the 5%. And the way that it's looking these days, it might be just the 1%. We're talking about what these people are being taught via Oprah, via um, whatever BT decides to show you, via yeah. uh, 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 daytime television, and then via the education system, and then via their households, Christianized, Negrofied adults yeah. that are only adults in age but, but have a mentality of a fucking five-year-old. They're not smarter than fifth graders when it comes to their history and their culture, and they're, yeah. they're not able, they're not even brave enough to speak about a reality or a society pre-integration. Right. So you're seeing the remnants of a broken society. This shit is, is typical Game of Thrones, you know, kingdom. The, the the walls have been broken down. The the king the, the the kingdom has been invaded. Regentrification. Anywhere that you do any kind of, um, we that's the problem. We don't have. They they we wake up every morning to these you know, turn on the TV and listen to these fake ass studies that they put out there. We don't do our own studies. We decided to do studies uh, surveys on 125th Street with the camera over the summer. You'd be surprised. We're not doing our own surveys. I don't trust any kind of forms of black media out there. If 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 your boss has a Stein or a Berg at the end of their name, you're not official. You know what I'm saying? Like I don't I don't even want to hear from you. Facts. You're not official. Yes. Like there's nothing that you can tell me. You're not right. serving the agenda of anything pro nothing. So if you do a survey, an honest survey from a Aboriginal, indigenous-owned media company or marketing firm yeah. go into regentrified neighborhoods, and what are you going to see? You're going to see the black woman, not the black man, because we were doing this prior to regentrification. What we're talking about is a new dynamic that's taking place post-regentrification. They're inside of your kingdom. They're inside of your neighborhood. You, even though we don't have quote-unquote neighborhood, niggas is dying for their avenues and streets. There's a sense of neighborhood somewhere. Yeah. Well, definitely we have, to, we have to admit that. There, there's been wars going on, proxy wars going on for 20, 30 years, where Negroes is dying for streets. So there are neighborhoods. But when you got a white dude from, like, 
Wisconsin walking a poodle at 2 o'clock down Notion Avenue is a different kind of dynamic. Now, let's talk about it. So prior to that, European women would get with black men. That was a sense of, you know, that was that forbidden fruit kind of thing. Like, yep. I'm going to get me a brother. Like, that's that power. That's that phallus. That's that, that, that you know what I mean? Like, that's Wesley Snipes type of shit. You jungle fever thing. You know? And it was a it was an approach as a sense of I'm getting with him because he has the economical cultural he's not he's 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 still seen in society as an outcast but you know due to due to due to it's in their DNA okay this is something DNA because when we stepped off of those ships came up in land in, in European lands came up in whatever lands that they were at from day one because we are the parents. From day one, when we stepped off of those ships, it was adoration. They wanted us. Okay? Yes. This, was, this is undeniable. This is in the DNA. This is something they were attracted to the to their fathers. So, mm-hmm. I don't know too much about history of the European man lusting or, or, or being, you know, they weren't even allowed to procreate with our woman first and foremost. Let's get that straight. When that, whenever that happened, that was seen as treason. That's just stories of Pocahontas and Cleopatra and all of those. That, that wasn't going down like that. Even during the Moorish Empire, our women were being shipped off into other places while we were inhabiting those lands. And we went to war for our women because it was, it was, it, we dealt with genetics. We dealt with bloodlines and pedigrees. You could not procreate through the wounds of the black goddesses. Mm. That just was not happening. Because yeah. once you have a child from a goddess, she becomes that that child is part of the royal bloodline. So we yeah. were not procreating with them like that. Yeah, it was not that, that was not acceptable. Totally got that. But the but the but the the dark ages, the darkening of Europe was basically a genetic war that took place where we were we were basically Bobby Hemet talks about it. We were sexing them out of existence. But let's talk about something else. So <laughs> fast forward to now. The approach that the European now the the black woman has taken into the European man is is is, is like a, a, a it's playing out like scandal. They are seeing the European who has come into a black neighborhood due to regentrification and other situations. That's the new power. That's the status of power to them now. He is the new token. He's the fucking Birkin bag. He is it. He's the new Louis bag. He's the new accessory. Oh, this nigga's paying $5,000 rent? He lives in the old crack house that they turned into a, you know what I'm saying? Like, the shit looks like a, a Pier 1 model house? Yeah. You know? Yeah. We could eat at Red Rooster, you know what I'm saying? Or Jack. Jack could take me down to Rockefeller Center, you know what I mean? And serenade me, you yeah. know what I'm saying? Well, at you know, Carnegie I gotta, Hall? I got You know, so, yeah. Yeah, as I, the I, culture... I became Europeanizers because you've seen the sisters started dressing more European now, you know, they want to like fucking Jackie O, you know what I mean? You know, they, they got the, the co-workers, you know what I'm saying? So you had the, so let's talk about the propaganda that took place in the movies. Something new, okay, something new was annihilating very detrimental movie to black men. Very detrimental movie to black relationships. Very detrimental movie because it inserted um, it inserted the spell, and it inserted. It, it, it gave them basically. It gave them. It, it gave them an alternative that they wasn't even looking at before. She hates me. 
Spike Lee, okay, yeah. where, where your homegirl, Kerry Washington and Anthony Mackey, introduced the concept of lesbian couples not needing a black man anymore only for sperm to procreate. And that's taking place now, all right? Yep. yep. She hates me. That's a program. Hmm. Well, we can turn Who's that around. Who's one? Huh? We we can turn that around. No, we, of course we can. But we're talking about what's happening. Mm-hmm. We're talking about multiple levels of, you know, destruction. Well, of, and, and, and we're talking about the void. Well, we're also speaking about. Let him address it. He said we could turn it around. Let him talk. Let him address I'm it. I'm sorry. You know please, what the horror story sounds like. It's all right. Yeah, we could turn that around. It'll probably take one generation maybe two max. Here's how we turn it around. We men teach our boys how to be men. See, one of the things that I learned about this relationship stuff is that men don't naturally become men. We need to be taught the difference between boyhood and manhood. Women don't need that. They don't have that issue. But we don't have, we, you know, so the Jews have, um, you know, bar mitzvah, bat mitzvah. That's their mm-hmm. initiation into adulthood. We mm-hmm. as a black species, as a black race, we don't have an initiation into adulthood. We keep growing and want to be better boys. Don't know that's what we're trying to be. Mm-hmm. And so we don't play big enough games because we don't know there's big enough games to play. We think getting girls is doing it, being a dad is being it, you know, or, or being, you know, good at making money. So that's why, you know, cats try to be cool and all of that stuff, right? But we don't really understand our responsibility as human beings on this planet for everybody we come in contact with. We don't get that unless we're taught the difference between boyhood and manhood. Now, there's a couple, there's a few, there's, there's a, you know, like, how, how I could tell when I'm dealing with a guy who's not fully manly, who's not a full man, is he's too busy trying to prove he's a man. That's a, that's mm-hmm. a clear-cut sign right there. If you had to prove it, you, you know, maybe you ain't it, right? So that's that's a that's an early warning sign, a tip-off, right? Um, but but in reality, I mean, like, I think there's a, um, on 135th uh, near 7th Avenue, there's a, uh, a school, I forget what the name of it is right now. It's in my head. Uh, I can see it, but, but it's right on the corner. But um, um, this, this school, they have a boys' uh, uh, group that, that teaches the boys over the course of a year how to be a man. And I don't know how many fellas go through that, but, like, that's, what we, that's part of what we need. We need to demonstrate masculinity because when we do that, here's the thing. The women won't be able to resist us. It's one thing to be turned on by our bodies, but it's another thing to be turned on by our rock hardness as a human being. That's what we provide them. And so the white guys don't really have that either. They ain't got much, you know, about I'm a man. I used to be a boy, now I'm a man. They don't have a lot of that either. What they do got, though, is they got the media and they got money. So women are like, I got to go with the most secure thing. That's their design. They're designed to go for creating the most safety and security because that's what drives them. I can't even be yeah. mad at that. You know what I'm saying? But, like, mm-hmm. we, could teach, we could teach our youngins how to be masculine, how to really be a real man, not somebody who's got to prove to be a man. 
And so that's why I say we could turn around. It won't necessarily be fast, but we could turn around, you know, 20, 30 years if we if it turned into a, um, how do I call it, turned into a movement that we decide, you know, the, 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 you know we, we go in men's groups and we teach each other about, you know, what it's like and we share our wisdom, the wisdom of the men. We share it amongst ourselves. That could be, that, that might be the only thing we need to do, really, between that mm-hmm. and learning how to, you know, create money as a society. You know what I mean? But, um, yes, indeed. It, it, you know, the really, it, it's, it's not that complicated. It just ain't easy. I ain't saying it's easy. No, I, <laughs> I'm not even going to pretend to say that's easy because, you know, I was in a men's organization, and it took me a year before I could even get used to being around those guys. And I was in my 40s when it happened. So mm. I'm not saying easy. I'm saying it's necessary. I'm going to tell you, man, when I, I did this program called the Men's Weekend in 2004, I did not know what I was in that program. And you got to get this. I was in my second marriage, and I had messed around with, literally hundreds of ladies. And I did not know after all of that time that I was walking around asking permission to be a man. I did not know that until I went in that program. And then I got friends to, oh, damn, I'm hoping people like me. <laughs> and then I realized, hey, you know what, I am a man, and I kind of like being a man. This is the bomb. And so, I don't know, it must have been 2009, somebody said, you know, you're really masculine. I was, that was the first time I ever heard anybody say that to me in my life. Man, I was proud. I gotta tell you because I wasn't expecting it and I never heard it. But so we, as mature adult men, owe it to our progeny to teach them how to do that because our women won't be able to resist because that's what they're looking for. And so that's why I said it can turn around. It just won't be easy. It'll be simple though, not easy. That's that's you know that's my thing, and then. The other part about it, because there's something else that could be added into that, which, which is, again, I'm bringing it back to the beginning of this thing. The post was, was killer, that killer post. And that's about love, like societal love. So in my intro, I talk about, you know, one of the things that I'm committed to in my life is two things. One, um, delivering love as a state of mind and a way of life. And then the other thing is to leave the planet better than I found it. Right, And so what I've discovered is love is not a circumstance. It's actually a state of mind. You know, there's some people who they, they're magical at making money, man. They can, they can see anything and figure out a way to make money out of it. There's some people, they can see anything and figure out a way to start an argument out of it. And there's some people who can turn any refrigerator or any cabinet into a gourmet meal. You know, like there's some like there's somebody that can walk into a closet and they can turn you into a model, no matter what closet they walk in, because they just have that mindset to provide that, to create that. You know what I'm saying? Okay, you do. I got it. Okay. <laughs> so. No, so, no, no. Yeah, yeah. So love is just like that. Love is when you really get it as a state of mind. It becomes a way of life. Like your life is all about love. Your life demonstrates love. Your life is an expression of it. Your life gives love to others, not because you're looking to be loved, because you're the one providing it. Like you're the generator of love. If the planet went without love, you'd be one of the light bulbs that's shown because you don't need any electricity to have love show up. You know what I'm saying? Now, yeah. Now, let's, let's, now, don't there some people that are listening to what we're saying? And yep. it sounds so lofty, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, 
might sound fantastical to them, but yep. it might be a little foreign as well because they still might be damaged. They yep. still, just like you said, have not had the level of instruction. You know what I'm saying? They yep. still might have heard about uh, meditation, but nobody took time out to teach them how to meditate. It's the same thing with love. You yep. know, they may hear that love conquers all, but only thing that they know is the pain that they've been feeling that they haven't, you know, necessarily been um, taught how to deal with as of yet. So it sounds like somewhere where they want to get to, it just yep. still is a very distant and foreign land. You know what I'm saying? It, it's totally like is. Yeah. If, it, if it wasn't a foreign land, we wouldn't be seeing no fighting in the Middle East, man, for the last, you know, 2,000 years. You know what I'm saying? I totally got that. I'm just saying it's possible. I actually, you know, what made me get so excited about earlier was that, you know, I don't know if it was red or blue, it was talking about um, uh, uh, the different places where love is, like self-love, you know, family love, like that. And when you said that, I got inspired because I felt like y'all was reading my mind, man, because... In 2008, I came up with a concept that I called the seven worlds of love. And those seven worlds of love, when I say it, you're going to hear. You said five of them already. So the seven worlds of love is love of self, of another, love of family, love of community, love of of society. Excuse me. No, love of humanity, love of the planet, love of spirit. And love of spirit ties back into love of self. And y'all said like four or five of them already. I remember I, I've got a, 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 what do you call it, a, a podcast where I did the talk on that in 2008. And so, you know, it was like it's amazing hearing you guys, you know, talk about it. And that's why I was so inspired by it because, see, most human beings don't have the capacity to love everything all at the same time. You know, it's almost like we have a focus in love. And so if somebody's focused on self-love, you know, that's one thing. Like, they want to actually love themselves, and there will be a demonstration for people to love themselves. And then some folks, you know, like the Martin Luther Kings and the, you know, the Marcus Garveys, they love, you know, all of humanity, or at least, you know, a large part of humanity. So they stood for that. They wasn't worried about, you know, personal relationships or, you know, business. They was worried about how can we all just get along, you know, Rodney King, right? So, um, you know, yeah. and then there's some folks – there's some folks, you know, like, say, call it Deepak Chopra or the Dalai Lama, they're all about love of spirit, you know. And so, like, we could get connected to the one of those worlds of love and just provide love there. Maybe they can't love everything. Maybe they only can love love of family. But if that's who you are, someone who loves family, love family, not just yours. You know, you prov- you're giving them an opportunity to love their family the way you love yours. And, and you know, again, it's lofty. I get it, but it's possible. And at one time, whether somebody was two or five, they thought anything was possible until they had their one heartbreak too many. And then after their one heartbreak too many, they decided to decided to get you know uh, how can I say they decided to become um, you know resigned and cynical. And so we live in a world where, yeah, that might be possible, but you know <laughs> the reality is I'm probably going to get beat down and it ain't never going to happen. But if you don't hold possibility for yourself, you're right. You got nothing. So, right. you know, anyhow, I just wanted to say that, man. I, I love the concept that you brought up about loving everything, you know, like different sex, different segments of that love. So I just wanted to say that, man. Oh, absolutely. 
absolutely. And it, it, it's definitely much appreciated, um, you know, even if you were on the same page. I believe that was read was going through the, uh, you know, the different aspects of love earlier. Yes. And, um, yeah, he, he just wants to tap into that same frequency, you know. I, I'm also, well, yeah, you know, that you answered what I was reaching at, you know, and that's what I was saying in regards to the fact that people might not know necessarily how to identify the larger dynamics of love, but if mm. they're able to cultivate and nurture the smaller aspects of love, then they can pretty much put that energy of that love on bigger things. Like, take me for instance, I love Uncle Eddie's vegan cookies. (laughs) (laughs) So, as as Barry White used to say, right on, right on, right on. (laughs) Go ahead, man. (laughs) I have such a love for those cookies, right, and how those cookies make me feel, you know what I'm saying, because they're vegan. I'm like, wow, I'm doing something healthy and their cookies. You know what I'm saying? Like, what could get better than that? So it's a it's a mentality at this point, and it's transferable. You know what I'm saying? I know yep. how that feeling feels, so when I want to transfer it to another segment of something else, I'm able to do that. Or at least put it in perspective to be like, oh, I need to love more. So I'm like, damn, I'm talking to myself. I'll be like, you need to love X and X like you love some cookies. And I'm like, oh, like that kind of love? I get it. (laughs) So I'm going to say I love that. Love that, bro. That's hilarious and it's accurate. I love it, bro. (laughs) So so, are you asking? Oh, you, go ahead, go ahead, keep going, keep going. No, I'm, I'm just saying that, you know. How do you make it not lofty, how, right? Yeah, that what it you're how weird that might seem to some, you know what I'm saying? It, it might sound off or what have you, but it's an example that's, 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 um, that's applicable, you know what I'm saying? Because it's like, boom, you know. I mean, I, I love my nephew, love my niece. You know what I'm yeah. saying? And I don't have, um, quote-unquote, children of my own, but my capacity to love, you know, my nephew and my niece, and I have other nephews and nieces, and I have cousins and all sorts of other, you know, um, extensions of my family, I'm able to extend that love to other people's families as well. You know what I'm saying? Just by seeing my nephew and my niece, than other children, you know? So it's just about, again, like I said, being able to put myself mentally in that place where I'm dealing with an archetype of love. And it's like, boom, you know, if I have the capacity to love on this level for this person, I should be able to extend it, you know what I'm saying? At least, like, getting it to a place, it might not be as deep, you know what I'm saying? It, you might you probably got to work on it more and more as you cultivate that level of love. But possible to, um, you know, love is transferable is what I'm trying to really say. Yeah, yeah, it is, it is. And, you know, 
I, I never really thought about what I'm going to say right now um, because this conversation is making me think about things that I, um, in ways that I probably haven't before. So, you know, you ask, like, you know, what I was talking about sounds lofty. It sounds foreign to people that, you know, have never heard that before, and I completely, completely understand it. I actually got the statement, love is a state of mind and a way of life, in a meditative moment in early 2008. So I completely got that. Like, God gave that to me, man. I didn't make that up on my own, you know. I'll, I'll, I'll keep yeah. it, but I didn't make that up. I ain't that smart, you know what I'm saying? But what I'm present to because of this conversation is this. In order for somebody to really be in the state of lovingness, right, like to have it as a state of mind the way, you know, Warren Buffett sees money and the way, you know, Tony Robbins sees, you know, breakthroughs and, you know, like that, right, is that I believe, and I don't have, you know, full verification of it, but I believe that a person would need to know themselves to the core first for that to be possible. What I mean by that is they would need to know you know, their highest aspirations about themselves, what works and what doesn't work about them. They have to be ruthlessly honest with themselves they, to see what they're committed to, what works about it, what doesn't, what's their strengths and weaknesses. They need to know themselves inside and out. Most, that's where most folks will get trapped at because they won't do the work because they think they know each of themselves already. Here's the, probably the biggest, easiest way to tell how much you know about yourself is you can't recognize who other people are. Because if you can recognize who other people are, you're going to see them yourself in them. And if you can't see yourself in other people, you don't know yourself well enough. So once you know yourself well enough, you not only see yourself in other people, but you see yourself in every other thing. You start seeing yourself in other businesses. You start seeing yourself in the newspaper. You start seeing a piece of your opinion and other people's bullshit opinions. Excuse my French here. So when you can start seeing yourself everywhere, it becomes easy to love everything and to be the source of love for others because you can see the part about them that you used to be that way, and then you'll give them a piece of yourself. But if you don't know yourself well enough, you can't give your love to nobody else because you just you can't see yourself in them. They're too different from you. Right. But when but when you really know yourself, you will naturally fall in love with yourself. And when you really know yourself, you'll be able to see yourself in every other person and every other thing. Maybe not every second of every minute of every day, okay? But overall, your general life purpose will be like, yo, that person is speeding over there. That person was being a jerk. Yeah, I remember when I was like that. You know what I'm saying? Now you'd be naturally compassionate. You follow what I'm saying? Absolutely. Yeah. So, I love that now. So, I can definitely yeah. relate. Yeah. Right. So exactly. See, if somebody does something great, you can relate. If somebody does something crappy, you can relate because you know yourself well enough to be able to see you in that. And until that happens, you're going to be too scared, too insecure, too uptight, too worried too focused on yourself to be able to love. Your your capacity for love won't be big enough. You got to know you first. Then you can see yourself in others. You know the laugh of recognition? Somebody says something, you'd be like laughing because you're like, damn, I did that too, right? Like, 
when you can start having that life, that, that experience on a regular basis, you are now getting to be big enough to be able to love every person, place, and thing. Not like you need to be walking around saying, I love you, I love you, I love you. You know, because you walk in the space and people just know you're a loving human being. You don't have to say a word. You don't even have to smile. They'll just smell it on you, you know, like it's a cologne, man. So that's what I would offer people. If they want to actually have their life be a life of love, they need to know themselves because they'll fall in love with themselves when they find out how great they really are. That's right. You know, so that's 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 what I got. And, you know, the other thing about love is that um, I read this book in 2004, man. This, this is another one of those books I tell everybody about. It's called uh, Power versus force. And um the author uh, power versus poor force. F O R C E. Oh, force, force. Yeah. Yeah, power versus force. Right. Um, the author is David R Hawkins. And um he created this concept called the map of consciousness. Unbelievable! It's probably the biggest thing that's ever been created in this in this century, and you know, in the, since the twentieth century, really. It's because what he did was he recognizes different levels of consciousness, and he describes each level of consciousness enough so that somebody wanted to get there, they would know what it looked like when they got there. You know, and so love is a very high level of consciousness to be living it day in and day out, and and so. Um, you know, I'm offering it to y'all so y'all can read it because, you know, y'all have your, your show all the time and you're doing all of this stuff. And if you could find a way, I'd be happy to, to work with you, support you, and figure out how to do it. If you could find a way to put, you know, love as a state of mind and a way of life into everything you're doing, you'll just raise the level of consciousness of the whole black community, which will wow. take care of us. Yeah, if that book is amazing. But, you know, you better have a dictionary when you're reading it because he uses some big old words, man. I'm telling you. <laughs> oh, that's cool. You know, but, yeah, I mean, so, so, um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I highly recommend it because y'all are about, y'all about you know, community. Y'all are about global issues, really. And so I'm, I'm saying stuff, if we were just having a conversation on the street together, you know, just having lunch, I may or may not bring it up, but. You know, I'm hoping that you know, the listeners listening to this and listening to the books that I'm talking about, because again, you know, ten years, twenty years worth of in, worth of information, and in, you know, in two weeks to a month, it's hard to beat that when you recognize the value. You know what I'm saying? Not, not um, only, yeah, I find it very interesting because yesterday, as I was, um, I think I mentioned it earlier, I had opportunity to meet with a uh, a seafood. You know, the gentleman we had on our program did a um, program called the the Martial Arts of Conscious Breathing, and he brought me to meet a seafood yesterday. And his seafood, one of the main lessons that he told me yesterday was about um, power over force. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Well. Yeah, the the big thing about power versus force is that force needs to move stuff around, needs to move itself, and needs to take in order to survive. And so you see people that are forceful, they take, they beat you up, they push you around, 
you know, and they need to continuously do that to survive. Power, on the other hand, can stand on its own, doesn't need any support, doesn't need any resources, and doesn't need to take anything from anybody. So gravity is power. Guns and bullets yeah. are force. He was using gravity as a teaching tool to show me, you know, the uh, the dynamics of power utilizing, you know, the natural elements of, of gravity. He was teaching me to t- tap into my um to my to my mind versus utilizing my brain, which yep. is pretty much, you know, the brain is using the force, but the power is coming from the unlimited universe. You know, yep. which is where my mind passing to, and he was able to just show me different methods of um, martial arts that was just so dynamic to me. You know, um, using these dynamics of power yep. and force. So the fact that you had mentioned that, you know, I'm going to get that book tomorrow. <laughs> I don't blame you, man. Listen, that book has got a thousand giant words in it, man. But I'm going to tell you when I Wonderful. read it. I read it. I read it in th- two and a half days. I could not put the book down. I was so stunned at how awesome that book was. I couldn't stop reading it, man. I was like, "What?" Every page was like, "Oh crap!" And I don't mean crap, you know. What I mean, every page was right, like right. unbelievable on, on top of being more unbelievable, man. So, uh, you know, mm. that's something that you're into. Read that book because between the, the between the two books I gave you, y'all are about you know transforming the, you know society. Expand our minds. Right. And so those books will give you some ideas on what to do about it, you know, like uh, at least how to do it, and then you'll figure out what avenues and vehicles you want to use to make it happen. So, And, and you know, I'll be happy to, to you know, partner with you all around it and support you around it, you know. But, you Indeed, know, y'all bro, talk, I appreciate that. Y'all talking about love and y'all talking about making a difference, man. That's Y'all talking my language here. No doubt. Awesome. Yeah, so what know, else did you want to talk about? Me, um, what changed it all for me was it was it was right before Ferguson. Um, a friend of mine recommended that I get back into studying a gentleman named Bruce Lipton, Doctor Bruce Lipton, the biology of belief, and um, so. Around the town of Ferguson, I, I, I was I was studying again the biology of belief, and in the biology of belief, you know, he was just explaining how environment dictates biology, and you know, your body doesn't have the capacity to engage in fear and love at the same time, and he was right. explaining it from a scientific, you know, um. Place. He was breaking it down through science, and I was able to clearly see, you know, just based on that dynamic, exactly what it was that he was talking about in regards to, you know, your body being in fight-or-flight mode, dealing with fear, right, and protection, as opposed to it dealing with growth when it's in, you know, when it's really dealing with love. And I had to make a decision because now I was faced with a real situation that was challenging, you know, my, my, my mental capacity to say, are you going to engage in what you're seeing on TV with a level of anger and fear 
because this is, you know, they're showing tanks and shit, you know, uh, uh, authorities, the M16s or what have you. And I just knew where they were going with that. You know what I mean? I knew where they were going. I know what that program was all about. I know that they were inducing a level of national fear on children, and this program was going to play out for the next 5, 10, 15 years. This was a seed that was being planted, you know? And um, I just decided at that point that uh, I, I was gonna, I was just going to totally deal with love. You know yep. what I'm saying? I was going to deal with love because I'm about growth, and I don't yep. want to stop my growth, you know what I'm saying, because I really wanted to get to that place, which you're talking about, and, you know, that's what I was able to see with Bruce Lipton, with, with a level of unprecedented love, we will be able to change our environment. So my, you know, 110% love will be able to be a benefit of people in my community, in my direct environment, you know, to lift their capacity to love up as well. And the only way that we're going to change what it is that we're seeing is through love. I was like, you can't do it through fear, so the only thing left is love. How do I get to love? So, Well, well, let me say something about love, man, that I hadn't thought I was going to be talking about here. But uh, it's, this, I, want, I want to bring it up because I want to give people a chance to see how, you know, the simplicity of love. What I want to think, as I get older and as I do more of this stuff, I keep learning that life is simpler than we think. But that doesn't mean that it's easy, but it's still simple. You know what I mean? And so, you know, I, I, I had a revelation about love a few years ago. And I say that love is just like the color blue. Swear to God, man. <laughs> blue is my favorite color. And the reason why I love blue uh, well, I mean, I got lots of reasons, but I love blue because, one, I can see blue anywhere I look, man. I can look in the sky. I can look in the ocean. I can look at cars go by. Jeans are blue. Everywhere I look, there's blue. That means that blue is everywhere, right? And then when I think about blue, I also think that you can make anything blue. So you can have a red car painted blue, you know, all of that stuff, right? You can turn anything to blue. Uh, then blue, even though it's everywhere, it looks like it's, we're never going to run out of blue because blue's in the sky. We can't change the sky. You know what I mean? It's like it's always going to be around the water. We could change the color of the water, but we don't. We ain't going to like it, right, <laughs> because we won't be able to drink it if it ain't blue, right? So, you know, we're never going to run out of blue. And then, you know, the last part about blue is that, um, you know, it's it's everywhere. So you got it. It's everywhere. You can't run out. Uh, it's oh, last part. I'm sorry. It's always only blue, right? So you know you got light blue, dark blue, uh, you know, uh, aqua blue, navy blue, but it's always blue. And if you're looking at something that's not blue, that's because it's not blue. <laughs> you know. So when you think about right, when you think about it, blue is always only blue. We're never running out. It's everywhere, and you can make anything blue, right? Just like love. See, love is everywhere. And we're never running out of it. And you could put it anywhere. Like like you could you could make anything loving. And um what's the other part about it? Uh you're never running out, it's everywhere. Oh, and it's always only love. See, that's also the key because 
if you're not seeing love, you're not experiencing love, it's not because love isn't there. It's because you just ain't paying attention to it. You're not looking for it. It's not in your focus. Just like blue. So when people have a hard time dealing with love, it's because they just ain't paying attention to it. They're not looking for it. They're not thinking about it. They're paying attention to something else other than blue. I mean, other than love. So, like, you know, you can be looking at blue and love and blue, and then red shows up, right? Red's not blue, but red's the same thing as blue, where it's like, you know, you got uh, it. Red could be anywhere and everywhere, right? The same thing. So, when we say we, you know, we fell out of love, is that we stopped paying attention to love. We started focusing on complaints or something else. But it's not because love went away, is that we stopped paying attention to it. Hmm. Profound. Yeah, it's that like right there. Nah, yeah, that's profound yeah. right there. Yeah, it's you like stop generosity. paying attention to it. That's all. You stop paying attention to it. So love. you have relationships where two people may be madly in love, mad, you know, head over heels over each other, and one of the people violate or something goes wrong, and you fall out of love. You don't necessarily begin to hate that person, but like you say, you stop focusing on that love. There was a, there was, there was a, there was a, 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 a violation. There was a break. You know what I mean? There was somebody pressed the pause button. So now instead of focusing on how much you love that person, now you're forced to focus on whatever infraction took place or whatever violation. And it's like I can't even put my mind on that love that I had. I have to focus on getting healing and getting over whatever this violation was. So we're falling out of love. You know what I mean? We can't even do that right now. Right. See, that's what happens in the doubt stage. People stop focusing on love. They stop Mm -hmm. focusing on love and they start focusing on everything else. Yeah. That's like the stages when, you know, when you're fresh in a relationship and everything is just mystical. Like it's just, you know, there's butterflies in your stomach and, you know, you're, you're, you're falling asleep, slur- you know what I mean, slobbering on the phone, you're waking up, you know, like, oh, my goodness, I didn't know I fell asleep talking on the phone. And then there's like, you know, and everything is great, and then there's just that one little thing that raises that doubt. Yep. You know what yep. I mean? And then, and, then, and then it escalates into, you know, a fear. And then it's almost like that honeymoon is over, and it's like, damn, you know what I mean? I want to go back to that euphoric feeling, like what happened just now, you know? <laughs> and that always happens. I, I I know what you mean, bro. Some some couple, some people, they only stay around until the doubt stage happens, and then they leave because they fall in love with love, with being in love. That's what they think. But really what they're dealing with is infatuation. And then as soon as the infatuation stays over, the honeymoon stage over, they're done, man. <laughs> done off. Yeah. They, forgot, they forgot what love is, or they never knew what it was. And so, like mm. I said, when you know who you are, then you can see you and everyone else, and you can love people even when they're messed up. Facts. A mother will will still be mad at her son if he's an axe murderer, but she will still love him, even if she's mm-hmm. disappointed she will still love him because she's her he's her son came out of her body and she's focusing on love. Mm. Like case in point, 
some of us, I can't speak for everybody, I don't want to be generalizing, <laughs> some of us, no, some of us who are enlightened with consciousness or knowledge or wisdom for that matter, that are card-carrying members of the conscious community, we have a love for our downtrodden, begotten, you know what I mean, often forgotten brothers and sisters that we left behind in those streets because we came from those same circles in that same environment. Remember, you had to plant a seed in the soil, in the dirt, in the darkness in order for it to sprout as a tree. So some of us could see ourselves in Pookie and Ray Ray, the knuckle draggers with their pants hanging down, looking crazy out there because we could still see ourselves inside of them. We still have a level of love for them that we're willing to help or to do what we do to help them. We might not help them directly by, hey, brother, let me give you a pair of suspenders or a belt. We might not approach it in that aspect, but we're doing what we're doing to help out the brothers and sisters who need it the most. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, man. You I understand. Can find you can find yourself in anybody, man, you know, like really. And when you can do that, then you can pay attention to the love, and it won't feel contradictory. It won't even feel like a challenge because, you know, when I when I said this statement earlier, like, um, you know, nobody does anything wrong given their model of the world, you know, what that means is that if a person isn't enlightened enough to know what to do, then they're going to act like a spoiled brat often, or they're going to act confused or weak, or they're going to have something other than feeling powerful and feeling and, and operating, you know, with knowledge, right? So, you know, most of the time what's there is if they're not being skillful, they're kind of being a kid. And some kids are bullies and some kids are scaredy cats and some kids are quitters, you know. So if you can see the kid in the grown-ups around you, you'd have a lot more patience and a lot more generosity. And when you show them patience and generosity, they're shocked and amazed that you did that with them. And then even if they're impatient with other people, they won't be that way with you. And then mm. you'll start creating a, you'll start creating a, um, uh, like a, a, a movement, like a virus of of patience, of love, of of compassion, of generosity with people because they'll be like, well, damn, everybody else is a crumb, but at least he treats me good. And then they want to talk to you, you know, like <laughs> using kindness. You could you could you could take care of almost anybody just using kindness. Depends on how negative and how resigned they are. Like I wouldn't try that on the to the police on a on a uh, uh, you know a traffic stop, or maybe I would try, be patient with them so that they don't feel like they're being honored. Because especially in this day and age, because those guys they see too many videos of too many screwed up cop activities, and they're all paranoid now. They're probably all scared they're going to get shot at, or you know, like so now now they that bananas now. I'd probably be more kind to those guys just so they don't shoot my ass, right? But um, but you know, you could do that with the most um, impatient. Uh, um, um, you know, intolerant person, and you know it might take a while. You know, like like driving Miss Daisy, right? It took a, it took twenty five years for her to believe that her driver actually cared about her, and then she started treating them like when she was in the whole folks' home. But you know, sooner or later, people will get it if you treat them that way and don't let their impatience, their weakness, their forcefulness stop you from being powerful. 
No doubt. Yeah. Lou, let's now, go to these callers. Do we got any? Yes, we do. I, I want to ask him one of the most uh, profound questions. Groundbreaking. Yeah, before we go to callers. And callers, please do get prepared. We are going to go into our Q&A segment. I know you got questions out there, questions, comments, or concerns, 347-627-2135 is the number that you need to call. All right, press number one. We will get to you, family. I'm going to say it one more time. 347-627-2135. Now, brother, you spoke about the atmosphere of boyhood that a lot of us have been groomed in, okay? Mm. This particular atmosphere of boyhood that is being promoted, you know, the culture, the entertainment, you know what I'm saying? A lot of things that, um, you know, many places that we congregate, this is what you see grown men playing video games, you know, um, 40-year-old rappers, you know what I'm saying, dressing like the 19-year-olds. In the streets of Harlem, you see 60-year-old men dressing like the 16, 17, 18, 19-year-olds. You know, um, we also are now seemingly becoming cognizant of the fact that we're dealing with a dynamic in our society that kind of like went underreported. You know what I'm saying? So it's kind of catching on to something that we're late on, and that's the fact that one out of five females, so they say, have been abused at one point or some point in their lives, and they're saying one out of seven boys have been sexually abused at some point in their life. Now, I have a reason to believe that those numbers are higher because these are the numbers that are just being reported. Anytime you're dealing with a statistic like that, you know, you got to also know that there's numbers that are drastically higher than that because people ain't talking, especially about issues like that. So now we're dealing with a a, a society where, you know, the aspects of uh, boyhood is being reinforced. We lived through a hip-hop era where we witnessed a drastic devaluation of the female. You know what I'm saying? That he was told, you don't love that hoe, so it's impossible to take care of a hoe that you don't love. You know right. what I'm saying? We was told that, you know, this ain't no rest haven for hoes. We was told that you don't say these hoes. You don't love these. You know what I'm saying? She's only good for what she's good for. Okay? And irregardless of that was the ideology that was taught to boys, you know, like you said, if a boy is not exposed to what it is to be a man, Certain boys are now fully grown in that ideology, and a lot of these boys are gatekeepers, you know what I'm saying? They're the people that are setting trends. They're the people that are saying what's cool and what's not. You know what I'm saying? So they pretty much got the keys to the asylum, okay? So now we deal with the dynamic that a lot of women that men would think are aesthetically beautiful to their eyes, right? Like, damn, you know, you know, she's going to make me go to Chase and just withdraw everything. You know what I'm saying? I'll spend it all on her. But she's like, nah, you know, you got to come down to the club 
break that down to ones and just make it rain. You know what I'm saying? That's how I want to get my bread. And you're like, huh? They're like, but you, you, you wife material. And they're like, I don't want to be wife material. I want to get on all fours and, you know, I want you to make it rain. You know? Yeah. This is how, and, and, you know, in in Atlanta, like, people are going on their first date and taking their woman with them to the strip club. You understand? So the way that we congregate, the way that, you know, we populate as a people is kind of like somewhat different now. The dynamic has changed. You understand? Yep. And it's like, are we being real with ourselves in terms of the devaluation of the woman in society? And that devaluation of the woman in society is also leading to the devaluation in relationships and also a devaluation and also with not only love means, but, you know, and the value of love itself. You know what I'm saying? Like, how does so? You have this situation where you have actually have women who don't know how to respond to the touch. You have women who don't really know, like if you hug them, they won't even know how to respond to that. They don't even know what that's about. You have women that are not even trained how to kiss in society. Like they don't even know what the kiss is about. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, right. You know, so it's really it's, it's really all on us, you know, as men. But Gabe, I'm sorry, I didn't realize you wasn't finished. Go ahead. Nah, I think that I'm kind of finished. I'm just going to keep rattling on nightmare <laughs> 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 scenarios and what have you. And I don't want to. I don't want to seem so dark and, 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 and gloomy about it. I'm just reporting. I'm telling you with, with the feedback that I'm getting on the streets. You know what I'm saying? And yep. Conversations yeah. that I'm having with some of my comrades and what they're telling me about these modern day relationships that they are encountering, and you know, in the back of my mind, you know, I'm like, damn, like, where did love go? You know what I'm saying? Is, is it archived? Is it in somebody's basement? Like maybe in them said, you know what I'm saying? Do they have it? <laughs> Do they got it archived in the basement? You know what I'm saying? If somebody got trial, but they won't tell nothing to the DEA. Do they got love like that? <laughs> well, well, now you know. Now you know that love is everywhere. You just ain't paying attention. That's what you. That's what the deal is now. Now that you know that, love gone. Love disappeared about as often as blue disappeared. Hardly ever. You just ain't paying attention. Not you, like the rest of us. <laughs> but you know, it's funny because I, I, like I said, I read lots of books, man. So I'm gonna drop another book on y'all for the men. Right, this is like for to help men gain masculinity, mature masculinity, to grow up. And so the name of the book is called Iron John. Iron John. The author's name is Robert Bly, B L Y. And Iron John is about the history of how men raise boys into men. You know, it, it deals with different, you know, uh, uh, mythological stories and, you know, things of that nature to represent what it like, what's it like to go through the, the stages from boyhood to manhood. And so, you know, for anybody that's looking to, like, do something about it, they can use that book 
as a structure for creating exercises, workshops, classes, whatever, to teach young men how to be how to be men um, by using that because it's um, like I said, it's like mythological in the sense that you know different um, um, societies, different cultures, Greeks, Romans, the, the Mayas, you know the way they uh, articulated manhood in the different stages of manhood in there. So, you know, that's a book that will work really well for, you know, teaching us as a African-American race, particularly here in America, how to be masculine enough for our women to listen to us, want to keep us, and can't resist us. That guy knows how to do it. And it's not gender-specific, but we really need that crap. You know what I mean? Not crap. We really, we really need it as a species. It's not enough of us as real mature men around, you know. And I don't know how we would be able to manage our our society in terms of money and in terms of knowledge without a whole bunch of mature men around to have the boys stop doing boy stuff and sacrificing themselves and, you know, and uh, sabotaging themselves, I should say, not sacrificing. You sacrifice what you want. You don't want to sabotage yourself, you know. So that I'm offering that book, you know. And, it, yeah, I probably offer like two or three books every time I'm on your call, man, because y'all be saying stuff makes me think about it, you know. But I'm also well, now we have to extend this and, and do like a book club type of situation, or you know, because I, I definitely want to devour these books, get some of the finer points, and have conversations based on them because, um, you know, they're they're definitely of interest to me. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And um, I already got links for a few of them, so you know, I'm, I'm gonna. Yeah, you know, I'm going to start running through them. Um, one more question before we go to callers. Yeah. In your professional endeavors, you know, based on the amount of relationships that you've dealt with personally as well as in counseling, you know, we're, we're talking about the whole dynamic, you know, first we address the whole dynamic of boys, uh, versus, you know, masculinity, you know, what has been your experience with young girls and the way that they've been cultivated with the princess stories? You know what I'm saying? Have yeah. you found that that is something that's applicable in society? Does it raise good women, you know, or is that also putting them in the realm of fantasy? And does that cause disaster at some point if they're only being to look for this mythological figure called Prince Charming on the white horse. Well, so women have a natural desire to have somebody take care of them the way their dad did when they were two years old. It's a part of their DNA. It's a part of their, their software application, right? Like their operating system. Like men have an operating system that looks like Microsoft. Um, you know, PC, and and women have an application that looks more like Apple. You know, uh, um, uh, what do you call it? The Apple or, or software? I forget what you call it, right? Um, so um, <laughs> Mac, yeah, they they got Macs or software. We got PC software. This is a little fancier, you know what I'm saying? But like part of their software, part of their operating system is to have safety and security from us. 
because the way it looks like the way God had it is that we want to be heroes. They want heroes. So we both want the same thing, kind of like just from different perspectives, right? So now, then what happens is, um, you know, in, in today's society, especially since the 19, you know, the early 20th century, you know, marketers have, have, you know, promoted, you know, women's desire to want to be protected. So, and to want to be safe and secure. So, you know, you've got the beauty industry with makeup so that they can look good so a man would want them. And you've got, you know, the magazines about clothes and the men could want them. And then, you know, you've got, this is what you need to do to keep a man around and all that stuff. So women are spending so much of their time and their heart trying to get the right guy. You know, it's almost like they're, they're raised amongst themselves and each other to, like, be the kind of guy, the kind of woman that a guy would want. I remember I was living in Canarsie, Brooklyn, and uh, I was getting on um, the train station at East 105th, and I was walking through the Canarsie Projects, and I saw this three-year-old girl walking with her hands almost completely over her head. The reason why her hands was almost completely over her head was because she was pushing a baby carriage. She had one of her dolls in her baby carriage, and she was walking towards her mother about 150 feet away. And I'm looking at this, and I'm like, she's three years old practicing to be a mom. I don't know when men, boys, start thinking about relationships, but I think it's around end of junior high. You know what I'm saying? So women got like a 10-year head start on us around when it comes to relationships and family and parenthood, you know? But be that as it may, if they don't have a father figure around to love them irrespective of their their breasts and their booty, then they don't know that there's, there's more to them than their breasts and their booty. So not having a man around hurts in so many different ways, hurts women in so many different ways, and women don't know the impact of not having a man around themselves and their, and their children. So it's really on us as men to figure this out and then take care of our society because, listen, women are doing the best they know how. They're doing the best they can. They can't think for us. They don't know how we think anymore than we know how they think as a, you know, as a rule. So we actually have to man up, but we have to learn how to be men, not impress people or try to get their respect, but really, like, be the type of man we were born to be that the creator had for us as a vision when we showed up. And so what that looks like is to learn the difference between boy being a boy and a man, kill the boy so the man could live, and then take care of everybody all at the same time in unison with the other men that know how to do that too. Yeah. And, you know, that's, that's the simple answer. Okay. We have a few callers. And we have five minutes remaining for the live broadcast. If you want to continue with us, class at 12 a.m. March or the next March, if you're in a different time zone, that cutoff is in five minutes. So you have to call 347-637-2135. That is 347-637-2135. Let me go to the first caller on our line tonight. Caller from the 202-630. Caller from the 202-630. You are live. Peace. Hold on one second. They may be on mute, don't know it. 
Yeah, the uh, thing is spinning. Hello? Hello? Peace, yeah. Peace to the gods. How's the family doing tonight? All is well and yourself. Good, good, good. I'm just enjoying the show. I um, just wanted to call in and thank Tony, Tony Veer, for the presentation. It's been really easy going and thought-provoking. Um, I, I wanted to, I guess, in a sense, pose a question and also make a comment. Um, uh, the question that I had was, it's kind of like a comment question, <clears throat> what have you, but it seems to me or appears to me that love, um, you know, when it's outside the realm of, of sort of like a personal um, personal context, when it's in a more global context, is more about a person's ability to define, define their experience by expanding their idea of who they are or the idea of a self. And so um, one of the things I know we talked about or you guys talked about tonight was how, um, you know, it's kind of like a uh, an undertone of the conversation, but many people are, they're not aware of who they are in order to sort of take advantage of or expand their center in order to invite someone else into um you know, into that circle. And a, a good example of that might be uh, people who have children or, you know, people who, like a man who's who's a, a bachelor, he loves playing uh, video games, what have you, or he loves, you know, he loves his job. It could be anything. But from a, from a certain standpoint, he doesn't want to ruin that or mess that up because um, to, to invite a family or a woman or children or his mother or anybody else into that would kind of screw up, you know, whatever it is that he has going on. So it, it appears to me like um, that that is that is one of the things that we deal with within our community. And I think on a global stage, that's what a lot of communities are dealing with, um, sort of like a selfishness. Um, the, the other comment I wanted to make was, uh, you know, love – is sort of it appears to me as a is sort of a precursor to will, you know, just from what we just talked what I just mentioned. Um and it's it's almost like a king's ability to sort of stand in the center, to apply law and to make changes based upon what it is that you desire to see happen in your environment. Um and then the last comment I wanted to make is uh, you guys, when you guys were talking about falling out of love, it reminded me of something I read in the Kabbalion. Um, and it was uh, in the Kabbalion it says, to destroy an undesirable rate of vibration, um, put in operation the principle of polarity and concentrate upon the opposite pole to that which you desire to suppress. So many a times, I guess, when people fall out of love, were they even concentrating on what it was that was, I think Tony mentioned it in the very beginning, what it was that was important about the person as opposed to maybe. Hello? Yeah, I was wondering. I'm checking my phone. I'm thinking, is my phone Okay. <laughs> Yeah, yep, it was okay. The call was the line dropped. Um, that's yeah. unfortunate. He was definitely delving into the topic. Um, but, you know, all of you hit it in the, uh, the archive. We appreciate the input, you know what I'm saying? And, uh, 
first off, I appreciate you know his acknowledgement, and um, uh, he said he went in so many different directions. It was hard for me to keep up with, with any one of those. It was one thing I wanted to say, and then I got so surprised he dropped off. I forgot what that was going to be. I was going to say, you know, uh, <laughs> um, he did say a couple of things that that you know resonated with me. One being, um, you know, if you want what you want and you're not liking what you want. What you have right now, you should pay attention to the opposite. He didn't say it quite like that, but that was sounds like the essence of it. Um, you know, he he spoke about um, you know knowing yourself well enough. He talked about uh, focusing on um, you know not love when you start to have doubt, and you know that'll take you out of your relationship. He said a couple of things. I wish he had a, a rock solid question and then give us a chance to answer it, but. Uh, you know, the brother sounded like he, he, he was thinking he wasn't just um, a listener and, and, you know, kind of like that. So he, he was good to hear from him. I just wish he could have gave us a, a question and gave us a chance to do something about it, you know. Um, but that's just me. Yeah, 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 yeah. I definitely would have loved to see it. You know, he would have ended up with it. But, uh, definitely feel like he was going to it. But um, let's go to the next follow all right. Yeah. I want to go to caller from the seven eight six six zero three. Caller from seven eight six six zero three. Welcome to the night. Peace. Good evening. Peace. today, and I know it's like two and a half hours. Hey, one thing that stuck out, I'd love to hear it. Well, one thing that that stuck out is something that um, I've seen many people deal with, I've dealt with before in my earlier years, was that doubt phase, and that really resonated with me, Um, and a lot of people that I see struggling in relationships is being able to get past that phase of doubt. So I'm glad that you really expounded upon that, on that topic and put that information out there. And I think if we can just really just be patient enough and just get past that phase, we can see a lot more progress in our partnerships. Awesome. Great. Gentlemen? Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Mm-hmm. Right, so let's go to Paula from 718-718-576. Paula, I, I 
shades to the red and the blue and uh brother Tony there. Uh this brother you asked. I just want to comment on a few things your brother was saying. Uh, I understand what you're saying about how we need, as uh, black men, need to be more as men and not so much as macho. That's why I think the way society has curved the black man's attitude, instead of being a real black man, they have presented, instead of the man, they put the macho instead of being the man, and they're using the... uh, definition of macho as a real man and that's that's what's bringing about the backlash of all these hidden emotions in a, in the quote unquote what we consider to be the now black man and on another thing it's beautiful that the sisters raised the little goddesses to be grown women early to have the principles of what to do for babies because it's like for the female the female has to kill the little girl to become the young lady <clears throat> to bring about uh the man and the boy to for the for the boy for the for the boy i mean for the man to kill the boy and to become grown if that's making sense if I'm trying to get it out right yeah it is you you see what I'm saying it's yeah. a beautiful cycle in the way it is it is made organically but due to this the the common society we live in and the way they shape the reality of those who don't know and give them the false sense of how to kill like you say kill kill the boy to become the man but the true nature cycle of it is the girl has to kill i mean the girl has to kill herself to become the young lady to force the boy to become a man to realize how to mature and, and grow out of the child faculties into the manhood faculties without the polarity of the female that wouldn't withstand the power, the power of the real quote-unquote man. You feel what I'm saying? Yeah. And the, the thing of love is, this is just my definition, it is, tr- is, is truly not about love. It is about how much the individual gains the experience and has enough time in its life to have a moment of clarity to understand the experience and at the crux of it, like the ancestors say, to know thyself, to move forward into a frequency that matches their circumference of who they are. Because love is, is to, to truly say love would to me would be sort of wrong because you can never say you would love somebody to the end. You would be on a, a frequency a frequency with somebody until as long as it would last. But like you say, if there's an infraction, that frequency breaks up, and then you form another frequency of of the same polarity. You see what I'm saying? And it's really not love. It's all it is is just experience, gaining enough experience to get the proper definition of what you're going through to be able to manifest it in the physical world through through physical mind, body and spirit. Well, I, I, I I'd like to I'd like to say something here because I want to like create some clarity around what you're saying there because you're saying something really important, okay? So you talk about frequency, um, you know, uh, the frequency of love and um, you know, what I want to point out is that 
we've been blessed by the creator to have a ton of frequencies. I call them principles, but they're really vibratory spaces, frequencies. They're like radio stations, you know? And like love is a radio station, so is hatred, so is impatience, so is wisdom. And so we get a chance to choose what radio station we want to chime into. We may not be loving ourselves, but we can tune into that station called love and stay there as long as we want. And so, you know, the point that you talked about about frequencies is beautiful because the station never turns off, but we turn the stations. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, so I know you talk about the experience, yeah, and, and, and in our growing, we experience all the different experiences, but then we get a chance to choose our favorite ones. My favorite one just happens to be love, so I do my best to stay on that station as much as possible. But you can choose your own too, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know what you're saying, but in 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 just I know what you're saying. The general sense of regular human terms, it's it's a simple, a simplistic word to say for the emotion is love, that warm feeling. But it's truly at the crux. It's the feeling of euphoria, the proper feeling of the oneness from the beginning to be able to create off of that frequency because mm-hmm. see, I, I, it's crazy to me how I can I, I can explain this and I have yet to have a proper relationship. <laughs> but okay. to me it, it it it's like the the frequency of love when it's properly experienced, the frequency that it gives off is a building block property. Mm-hmm. And to be able to be able to tap into that frequency called love and to use it not as a, as an emotional force, but as a unification building block to step forward in what you would call a female and a male relationship that would help pave the way for economical, uh, financial, group things as, uh, like how you say, as a relationship would uh, evolve into, because... It's like the love is, like I said, the love is the euphoric part. But if people see past the feeling of just that emotion and take and use the the emotion of it almost like in, uh, what you would say, the tantric sex, when you would have sex instead of feeling it for the love or the lust energy would you, where you would conjure up the, the, the euphoric feeling and then take that and build on it as how to use it as a guide to see further into your relationship with that individual, if you're on that level, I don't know, but I might. I'm, I'm going off too far on that uh, that uh, topic real quick. But the next concern I have real quick is that I was in Harlem a couple like two days ago, and I was looking for the for the blue pill. I walked from the bottom of 125th to the top on both sides, and man, that I, old New York lives within Harlem, but then at the same time, I felt. So much wild, raw, melanin energy. There's a vampirical force that's within Harlem that has created a time loop and a dimension. I'm talking about, I remember when I came to New York and I couldn't walk through the streets. It would be so many people, it would be hard to walk. And it's not like that here in Brooklyn. But when I got to Harlem, I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. It feels like it's the beginning of 1988 through 1999. And like you say, the grown men, the grown men address. I says, wait a second, this is a loop. This is the underground force working here. Somebody is creating 
the element of poverty amongst the element of people that are blind that have a force that don't know how to use the force, and they are feeding off of it, and it makes sense why Billy Clint is right up there at the top of Harlem. <laughs> I walked through there, and I felt like I was I was totally trapped in a time loop. I'm talking about from right to left to where, like, they're trying to push their futuristic look. At the same time, they have to create the, the, the vampirical lower-class energy to feed to create a circle of some type of a time gate there. I'm talking about I was mystified. Even when I walked past the Apollo, everything slowed down like to where everything was moving like a, a, like a, a, a millimeter a second. I was just like, I can't even believe, I couldn't even barely breathe. Mm-hmm. I was like, what is going on up here, man? Something is happening. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I know I'm going to hurry up, but I see why. Sarnetta and y'all have turned up to the 10th power. There's an underground church somewhere within that, uh, alongside 125th, either to the left or to the right, two blocks. But there's a severe severe drain over there, man. I had to get out. I I mean, I seen Brother uh, Mike Wright doing his thing, but I had to even tell him, I was like, man, you got to protect yourself highly up here spiritually. Something is here. But I say to y'all, and let me hop off of here. See you, my brother. All right. All right. Okay, we have one more caller for the evening. Let us go to caller from the 614-614-301. Caller. It sounded like they was having a good time, whatever else was going on. (laughs) Yeah, they was they was in love with the music, you know what I'm saying?
Yep. So this is a demonstration of what we've been doing, you know, based on our love for our people, our family. We don't even got to see them and know them to love them. So you're right, you know, anything that we can do to increase it because it's, you know, it's a real demonstration. So why not amplify it? Why not see, you know, most things to get out of the situation? You know, why not turn it up all the way up? You know what I mean? Take it to the next level. And the only way that can happen is by increasing the love within ourselves. You know, that's Thoughts yourself first. So, yep. I will be doing my homework. <laughs> you know, reading these yep. books. Hopefully, these books have. Uh, I love the books that come with the um, you know, the little, the 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 work uh, the workshops, worksheets type things. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'll be happy to, you know, support you in creating something. If something comes to mind, you know, be like, oh, man, we need to do this. I, I'll be supporting you with that, man, no problem. It would be my pleasure and my honor, really. Dear Brother Tony, this Brother Red Pill, I uh, just want to say thank you for your demonstration. I uh, look forward to continuing, you know, this endeavor with you. Like the Brother Blue said, you know, if we decide to uh, do some live presentations, you know, such as workshops or a seminar or something in the New York or tri-state area, we definitely will um, let you know as soon as possible. Yeah. And, uh, you know, because we did the video on 125th Street over the summer. Now we did the radio show. So yeah. I just feel like the natural progression at this point is um, get some brothers and sisters in the room and um, just work on some, you know, just work with our people hand-in-hand, face-to-face, you know, and um, broadcast that, capture it on video, share it with the family, share it with the network, and just grow. But I'm going to dive into those books that you recommended so we can fortify, you know, um, our scholarship and just, you know, utilize the information and apply it where it will, you know, be more beneficial, and then just take it from there. So I got my homework. I got my homework assignment. Blue has his homework assignment. You know, um, feel free to, uh, you know, if you want to add on to anything, it's all good. And um, like I said, just keep doing what you do, brother, because we do need you out there. You know what I'm saying? We need many brothers and sisters like you um, on this special mission. And, uh you know, we're, we're here to support you. Well, thank you, man. I'm here to support you. It's an honor to be here. Thank you for asking me to come. You know, I was looking forward to this, you know, and uh, I didn't know what it was going to look like. But, um, you know, just being here, um, sharing stuff. I know this is recorded, so people be able to hear this at another time. You know, I, I, my thing is I, I just I love what I do because it's, it's like what I was born to do, so I'm going to just keep doing it. And you know, my wish is that other people can find what they used to, what they find what they are born to do, so they can do that too. And I think that's what y'all are doing. So, so thank you for your partnership and your support. And, uh, and I'm complete. Indeed. Thank you, my brother. Yeah. All right. Red, blue, y'all, y'all the bomb. All right. No doubt, bro. All right. For the family. 
I just want y'all to know that this show is sponsored by KingsCounty.BigCartel.com, K-I-N-G-Z-K-O-U-N-T-Y dot B-I-G-C-A-R-T-E-L dot com, KingsCounty.BigCartel.com. We have those uh, Silver Surfer Varsity Jackets, you know what I mean? Jack Frost's hair is getting chilly. It's hoodie season. We got the Moore 7 hoodie on deck. We got the Super Hay emblems on deck. And we also have uh, some powerful, powerful hats. We're jumping into the hat game. We have uh, some very powerful magnetic hats for you. Uh, so check us out. Um, sweatshirts, everything is on, you know. We just unroll it down. The, the kids' line is coming. The children's line is coming. I mean, uh, as soon as this weekend, more you know, more than likely. So, thank you for the support, everybody that's been supporting us. Salute. You know what I mean? We got them orders coming out, and um, just keep looking out. You know what I mean? Keep supporting. Get your wardrobe up, and peace. Yeah, and my 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 fights are back up. You know what I'm saying? So we also. Okay. Uh, this program is sponsored by SoulGoBig.com and Ocean14Corp.com. So you can go and get your monatomic silver. You can get your gold. You know what I'm saying? You can get your sea moss and everything. So you fortify yourself. I don't know whether this thing is only a scare tactic or not. Why not be prepared? You don't need to be scared, but you know what I'm saying? It won't never hurt to be prepared. It's silver on deck. You know, get your gold, get your platinum, get what you're going to need, all right? So, all right, close out the saying this commercial. And then, uh, you know, Tuesday, we got our brother Daniel Grills, fresh off his trip from Europe, you know what I'm saying? Also, Kenneth. I have some profound information to share. Definitely going to be in the building to touch next Tuesday's powerful program. From times of lore, ancients believed gold aided in prolonged lifespans and cured many diseases. It is proven to enhance mental astuteness and sharpen intuition. Gold aids in optimal bodily function and increases electrical conductivity and cellular electrical impulses. Gold can balance energy fields and is beneficial for opening and balancing the crown, heart chakra, and the third eye. One of the main benefits from an active third eye, or pineal gland, is the ability to have lucid dreams. This elixir of life is now available in two ounces for an amazing low price of $49.99. Our bodies are our temples, and soul gold liquid drops is essential to our transformation. Order now. Go to www.soulgoldbiz.com today. 